I'ma say what I feel And I promise to keep it real Welcome to the Red Room Diminishing the doubts are behind ya It's hard to grind and the business got me stressed In the rent room, we let that shit up off our chest You know the street nerds got no time for no caca Sass in class, yes that's Mr. Bolakaja Never have to guess when you're listening to Hilliard He gon' bring more game than a shark playing billiards It's all about the crap of screenwriting It's exciting when you turn an outline into something enlightening Your pen and words are like bullets in a gun Write what you feel, say what you want Welcome to the rent room What's up, y'all? It's your boy, Hilliard Guest. You guys are listening to the Screenwriters Rant Room. We keep it real. We keep it opinionated. We keep it what the whole team, the whole Wu-Tang Clan. Wakanda, Wakanda forever. Because yeah. you, know, you know Black Panther 2 is coming. Yes, mm-hmm. of course. Y'all know how we do it on the Rant Room. On this show, we discuss entertainment, TV, film, music, culture. But our focus is always screenwriting, stories, craft, and shit like that. As you can hear, we have the whole gang in the house, minus Jeff Thorne. Dog sitter. Like, what are you out there doing? I thought today, yeah. I'm all, I can't even reference somebody. I know, I saw his name on the tablet, and then I reread the text. I was like, aw. Yeah, I thought he was yeah. on Comic Con today. He's was so yesterday. afraid of his wife, he can't leave a dog alone for two hours because he might get yelled at. <clears> I like bring the damn dog. Bring the dog. He did yeah. that one time. Remember? Bring the baby. Ridiculous. Bring the doggy. I miss you, Jeff. And Jeff, <laughs> and Jeff, call me. I'm telling. <laughs> we must talk. Exactly. See you here, everybody. Lisa Bolakaja in yes. the house. The original L Boogie. Yes, and guess what? Because it is <clears throat> Sunday, that means all you mofos in San Diego, <laughs> you got the next four hours to get your Hall 8 shit together. Is something going and on? And then pack your stuff and get the hell out of my city. <laughs> so a sister can go to her coffee shop and get her, her buckwheat pancakes. Damn. So I can sit at the beach and not have to like drive around for two hours looking for parking. <laughs> and you're jamming up all the trolley station stuff mm-hmm. and you're messing up the city. But we thank you for your money. Okay, look. <laughs> and your time. That's how you got that green grass and over get, there. And get to stepping. <laughs> and get to stepping. You got that Road paved. That's the only plan. Stepping. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Chris Derrick in the house. What it do, Chris? The quiet storm. Yes. <laughs> I want to talk like this today. Uh, uh, the radio. Sexy Chris. Sexy Chris. <laughs> Our request Let's lines are open. What's going on? <laughs> Strange airwaves. <laughs> what dial you got California. over there? California. <laughs> Midnight caller over here. Exactly. All right. Play some Randy Crawford now. Yes. Errol Garner. <laughs> Randy Crawford, yeah. I'm going to play some uh, Errol Garner. <laughs> Concert Errol by the Crawford. Sea. Oh, Randy Crawford and the Crusaders. Play Exactly, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> then we got Big Bro. Yes. I call him Uncle Paul. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Paul Gill in the yes. house. Yes. Hello. The big dog. Who the OG. I, who I think the last time I probably spoke to him in person was when I was in New Orleans calling you. Yeah, when oh, I was on, was that? you yes. were there because oh, they were shooting oh, down there, and I was like, and they were shooting across the street from the hotel I was staying right. at. I'm like, Paul, are you out here? And he's like, Oh, they're not shooting my my episode. Go over there and talk to the thing. I was looking for the honey wagon. Yes. I, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna lie. Paul Gio sent me I, over. Listen, here. listen, and I did. I was name dropped. I said I'm a name drop, right. but I was drinking too. Oh boy! You so I was drink. walking around. She's like, where Crafty's at? Yeah. I, listen, did you have a videotape? That's exactly what I said. Yeah. <laughs> 
some of those hurricanes. <laughs> exactly. But yeah, so we got to see Scott Bakula and wave, and it, it was fun. And I'm just like, you're not in town? Like, oh, no. But I think that's the last time I that is. actually spoke to you. Yeah. And then you weren't here. And then I was here podcast. the last time. Yes. I was back after yes. a year after. <clears throat> yes. Good to be back. Yes. Of course. So if you guys are grown, let's go ahead and get on up into the show. So Paul... Uncle Paul, we like to call him. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> it's respect. Tio Palito. Just <clears throat> go up. So Paul um, sent us a text the other day um, after we recorded a couple episodes last week, and he was going, "Hey, let's do like a listener mail mm-hmm. um, podcast where we answer you know questions from listeners. Um, it could be you know about the industry. It could be about whatever the fuck you want it to be. Of course, it's always industry stuff." So we figured today, you know, we got a bunch of um, tweets from listeners, followers on uh, Twitter that we would just go through and, you know, I'll ask a question uh, that, that was posted and we could just one by one, you know, just go through and knock them out. And um, <clears throat> it's often your perspective. So we all might have different ones. Mm-hmm. So, excuse me, this is a disclaimer. <laughs> Wait, this is my disclaimer. <laughs> go ahead. Everyone is entitled to my opinion. <laughs> Everyone's entitled to your opinion. <laughs> All right. Quiet storm. In other words, your mom may vary, people. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, so we'll, st- we'll 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 get into this, but I just want to put out the disclaimer that everybody in this group, we all clearly we all here, so we all love each other, we all trust each other's writing and stuff like that. So that's that's the most important. But that doesn't mean we all agreed on everything, um, which is fine. That's that's what makes us strong, right? Yeah. So minus Paul. So, <laughs> okay, don't let him get a little whiskey. Okay. What you be drinking? Listen. What's that shit? Oh, uh, last night. Did you have a cigar too? I had the, you know what? You appreciate I had my this. cigars with me. I was really? downtown last night drinking the Fou-Curé. Ooh. This New Orleans drink Ooh. that's kind of like a little, it's an old fashioned with a little New Orleans twist. They, gotcha. they, they, it's an old fashioned and they add uh, XO, cognac. <laughs> Wow. What is that, Hennessy? Yeah. Yes. Yes. XO. Wow. And it just... And a makes, dash of cayenne pepper? It just kicks it up a notch. And Sounds good. I had, I had more than one. You had more than one, C- clearly, because... Yeah. <laughs> it was tweet, tweet storm. I was like, what am I missing? Yeah. What am I missing? Yeah, I got to... So can I read the first question? Yeah, yeah, I was going to hand you each one. Okay. You, know, <clears throat> you got that voice. The quiet storm. So yeah. this is from Britt Banks, Brightburn. Ooh, I like that, Brightburn. Mm-hmm. Like the movie, huh? Yes. Uh, I have a question for directors, hashtag directors. Do y'all think it's absolutely necessary to have a director's reel? Is this something that independent directors utilize more than mainstream directors? Uh, You can message me. Any feedback on this is appreciated. Hashtag film Twitter. So once again, um, do y'all think it's absolutely necessary to have a director's reel? Is this something that independent directors utilize more than mainstream directors? The quiet storm. Okay, so two things. I'm, I'm assuming they're talking about film, um, but regardless, we could say both for both. both yeah. um, you don't have to have a director's reel if you have a movie that people know. <laughs> it's that simple. Mm. Because there's a, there's, a, there's a lot of guys. Uh, I mean, I was talking with my friend Chris Kaiser about it, and, and he was like, "I don't necessarily look at people's director's reel. I want to see a movie that they did, and I'll watch maybe 20 minutes of it to see how the story plays out and to see how they handle everything, because that is telling him do they know how to do all the kind of stuff? Because a director's reel, you can, you know, it's just like a trailer." you can manipulate it to, to make it look like you really know what you're doing when perhaps you don't. 
And then Did you explain what the director reel actually is? Okay, so a director's reel is your portfolio. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, between 90 and to be 90 seconds and 2 minutes long and it's kind of like a clip reel of you showing your director's style. And what and it's not just like, you know, like just rapid clips of everything you've done. Mm-hmm. You, you should put in uh, one, at least one, if not two scenes, so that people can see how you work with actors. Mm-hmm. Like I remember looking at when I was cutting mine, <coughs> I looked at this woman named Vic Mahoney's reel, and she set hers up where she did like, um, uh, and Vic Mahoney, she, and she went on to, di- to direct a couple episodes of uh, some television. She did like uh, Survivor's Remorse and blah, blah, and then she got hired to do second unit on the uh, on the upcoming Star Wars. Oh wow! So she's and and she's a black female. So very important. Yeah. So mm-hmm. for her reel, she had like forty five seconds of clips from uh, like, like a movie she did with Zoe Kravitz and some stuff she did at AFI, mm-hmm. and then she cut into a to the scene she did with Zoe Kravitz and this actor who I love but I can't remember his name. He was in like um, he was in Brotherhood. He was one of the stars of Brotherhood, and he was in Zero Dark Thirty, and he was in uh, Chicago, one of his <laughs> Chicago movies. And then she, so it was that, and, and that scene after about like maybe thirty seconds, maybe mm-hmm. maybe forty five seconds, and then she ended it with another like fifteen seconds of just shots, of clips of like. Some so she, so it sounds like she, she got in really quick, like. Like, just to grab you, like, here's a bunch of images, right? Give you a taste. And she slowed it down right. and went, now let me show you how I handle dialogue. Actors, right. Mm-hmm. Actors right. in yeah. the scene. Yeah. yeah. And then she picked it up again with, let me show you how I handle, here's an action piece. Here's a, yeah. here's a, just, here's a drama. Mm-hmm. Here's a whatever. She just did like a quick, right. like, yeah, real quick. collage, if you mm-hmm. will, of things. And then it probably ended to music or some shit. Yeah, so but, I think the answer to the question well, the whole time is, is yes. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, I mean, if you don't have a movie, which most people probably mm-hmm. asking this question right. don't. Well, but here's the thing about that. Here's the thing about about Victoria's Reel is that she had done a feature film <coughs> that didn't get distribution that had Zoe Kravitz in it. Like I can't remember what it was called, but I remember and it's on and, and, and there's a there's a there's a VHS copy of it or, or some really bad scan mm-hmm. on YouTube because I was like, what is this movie mm-hmm. that Zoe Kravitz is in? And I looked it up and it's like, oh, and then you can't. It's so not a, before it, Zoe became Zoe. No, no, this is recently. It was recently because 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 Zoe had been on. Californication right. for a long time right. and so this is maybe like three or four years ago okay. maybe four years ago and uh, I think it was either right before or right after she did Mad Max and it was just a small little movie and it didn't come out so you know and it has to do with the thing that, that I say all the time the worst thing about, about a movie is if you make it and no one sees it it's like you didn't make it right. so um, so she's someone who shot a movie that, that's why I said it's some, a movie that someone people know so that's my feeling you mm-hmm. know I mean, it, I mean because and, and it's not necessarily for indies because if you're working in television then most of the time people want to see the reel. They go, send me the reel, send me the reel, send me the reel. I remember, you know, like the guy that I, I remember years ago when I was at Gersh, my guy was so adamant about my brother and I'm not directing because the the client he signed before us was uh, Seath Mann. Mm -hmm. And Seath Mann had shot this short that he really liked. He was like, I'm going to sign you and we're doing movies and all blah. And Seath was like, nope, because I know David Simon and David Simon is going to give me an episode of The Wire Mm -hmm. and then I'm off to the races. And then he, you know, and he quickly segued into directing television and and my agent was like, I can't have you, I I can't have that happen again. I'm not going to sign a client. (laughs) And, 
and, and then have him not make money for me. Because yeah. um, I'd have to work well, to get him jobs. Yeah. I don't want to do that because yeah. I'm an agent. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, um, but he started working out for short. That was really strong, but he knew. He yeah, it was five deep, deep breaths. Five, five, uh, five, deep, five deep breaths, breaths. yeah. yeah. And, and, you know. Hi, Seth. Um, and he knew David Simon. David Simon recommended him to um, Shonda Rhimes, right. and then you know, and, and and he did episode of and he did episode of Grey's early on, like that. You know how it came on um, as like a mid season replacement, mm-hmm. so it wasn't a big show yet. Right. Um, so, so they're more than willing, yeah, willing to take a risk mm-hmm. on a yeah, yeah. first time. Right. Yeah, first time. Um, yeah. You know, the features. It's features. It's features. But she also asked about independent. Well, so, yeah, that's what I'm saying. So, right. so for features, if you do independent, you don't need a real. Again, if you have a really strong short, mm-hmm. you know, you know, because people can look at a short and say, "I want to give you money b- based upon that." Uh, if you want to work in in the studio game, right. well, they're going to need a, a feature. They're they're. It's just like when you're talking about the guy who did Black Man, the last Black Man, right. as as artsy and as as that movie is. Mm-hmm. They're gonna turn around and say you're great, so let's put you on let's put you on a Marvel movie because you know how to complete a movie. Mm-hmm. I mean, the biggest thing that people are concerned about when you are doing a, a feature film is can you complete the movie? It seems like well, yeah, but that is such a hard thing because there's so many movies that don't get finished, there's so many movies that get finished badly because the filmmaker doesn't have the ability to see the whole movie yeah. and, and take, um, it, take it to the post. So. I was just going to say this. Um, I mean, I've directed a few things. I was going to say this. is In the independent world, I would say it depends on what you're trying to do. If you're trying to make your own film, no, of course you don't need you know, a director's reel. If you were trying to um, say there's a lot of, we all know there's a lot of smaller like pods or independent companies that um, still shoot $2 million projects or whatever. So they're looking for that director, but they're looking for that director who shot something at Sundance. They're looking for that guy who wrote that or, or directed that cool last short that went to the Oscars. Right. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? They're looking for that next right. person, but to get them for cheaper to blow them up to the next level. Right. So, so where I would say is, I think a reel always helps you because of, because of time. You have a lot more. I would much rather look at your reel and watch three or four minutes than I would to sit and watch your entire oh, film to figure out if you could do this or not. However, it works for your advantage if you have something behind it. Like it went, to, it went to, you know, Sundance and Austin, you know, one of the big ones, yeah, though. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah, because yeah, you know, because 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 even what's her name, Erica Watson, you know, mm-hmm. she had done a bunch of short films. I don't think she had a reel, but 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 her last three or four films, she she got them. But they all were going to Cannes and winning, yeah, yeah, they were going to, yeah, you know. And then she was, and then she went to USC, Mm -hmm. and then because she had that kind of background, that's how she got into that that Ryan Murphy thing. So I mean, look, there's certain guys who (laughs) will tell you. Like certain film, I remember it was either Soderbergh or Kubrick was like, I can watch the movie and in the first three shots, I know if right. you're not a director or not. Right. Um, and it's the same thing for us. Same, with the script, same right? thing we're writing. Just, you yeah. can tell in the first three yeah. lines, hey, this person can't write <laughs> or they can. So it's just, um, but it's you're right. It's a shorthand because most people can't watch the whole thing. Right. So and to give you an example, that's kind of like it's on topic, a little off topic because it's the, it's the, it's the best movie of the year. It's my favorite movie all year, The Last Black Man in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. I knew within the first 60 seconds I agree. of that bitch 
that I was in the presence <laughs> of someone who's going to smooth my little baby feathers right. and soothingly tell me a story that I really need to see. Right. And that we've never that seen. That we've never seen before right. like that before. And you could use that little clip. That, that alone sold me. Well, you yeah. Know? Well, you know, it's, it's, it's I, I, I think... And like you said, within those few seconds, first, you know. You know. You already know. Because it, it's like... The, if you think about a movie that you love and think about the opening shot, like great filmmakers make the shot really cool. And it's, it's, I mean, the first time I kind of, I noticed this one time was when, uh, is when you, is when you watch Raiders of the Lost Ark. Mm -hmm. I've never seen anybody do this beforehand, but he did it really fucking well. Is that, is that the Spielberg, it comes as a Paramount movie. And there's the Paramount, the Matterhorn, the logo of the thing, and it dissolves into a shot of another mountain that kind of that blends over the. So it, was, it brings you into the movie very like smoothly, mm. and it's like, oh, that's a fucking cool shot. Yeah. And next thing you know, it pans down, and you see these guys, and you, and you see like you see the you see Jones walk up, and you see you know that that group of people walk up in the frame, and it's like, hey, I'm just and you kind of like, oh, this guy is like he he knows how to immerse me into the story mm -hmm. and bring me in really really well. Cool transition. Right. He did something really clever. Mm. I mean, so. Okay. okay. Our next awesome. question is from John Thank Weston. Thank you for the question. Um, John, your at name, I, I know I'm going to mess it up, so I apologize. Is it Ephemeraflex? Anyway, it's John Weston. <laughs> <laughs> I know I messed that up. John, I apologize. You can cuss <clears throat> me out on Twitter later. Uh, the question is, what do you think of using dual dialogue as a motif that's representative in your story? Paul? I love dual dialogue. I love because because in real life again looking for the truth and the authenticity in all our fiction, we talk over each other all the time. Right. I mean, this table alone before the mics start running. I mean, we're there's like four conversations going exactly, on at once. Exactly. And so I have no problem with it. I I use it. I mean, I don't know if I'd say a lot, but <laughs> I never hesitate to use it if it right. if it's called for. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm a fan because it gives you something else too. Because there's something when you realize two things are being said at the same time, that changes the dynamic in that, in that moment. Well, let me ask you a question then. How often do you actually use it in a script? That's the thing. Is I, I, don't, I don't plan to use it. I don't remember the last it. time I put it in a script. I, so that's I use it whenever I think about it, and I'm mm -hmm. trying to think. Um, I've probably used it in almost anything I've written, I would, I would guess, without mm -hmm. going through and, and thinking about it. Now, I just I don't hesitate at all. Right. Now... To me, the only way dual dialogue works is it has to be more than two people in the scene. Otherwise, they're just overlapping each other. Exactly. You know what right. I mean? Right. So right. it can't just exactly. be That's a great two point. people having dual dialogue, and, it's, and, a, and right. a, it doesn't make any sense. They're, right. they're either overlapping or they're not. Mm -hmm. Well, so, you know, you watch a lot of movies like Howard Hawks films or Orson Welles movies. Those guys <clears> have, are very much into trying to do that, people talking over each other, stepping right. over each other's lines. Um, the first time I saw dual dialogue in a script, I was looking at a Woody Allen movie, mm -hmm. and I, th I want to say it was like Hannah and Her Sisters, and I and I, I and I I almost believe that in his scripts, he might have. I want to say he'll do dual dialogue with only two people in the scene, okay. so they're talking. You know, and it's kind of like they're having. That an sounds like a style choice. It's a, sty it's a total style choice because <clears> he's <throat> kind of trying to say like, "Hey, I'm having an argument," right. and two people are talking, talking over each other. Neither one's time. listening to each yeah, other. Yeah, they're both. Yes, right. so it's a style thing. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, but it can be hard to read on a page. It can be yeah. very hard to read. Yeah. Very hard to read. But uh, mm -hmm. it was interesting. I read. It, I was like, "Oh, how did he do that?" Yeah. Because a, this is like 
typewriter age when he wrote that. I was like, Jesus Christ, like, how did he do that? Space, 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 space. Knowing the numbers divided by two. Yeah, you know, so, uh, you know, it's crazy. Um, because at the time, at the time that I was looking at it, it was I was still using uh, Microsoft Word yet. Like, like I hadn't had a, a I, I don't think I could afford Final Draft. It wasn't out yet. But I was like, how did he do this on a typewriter? But um, it's it's and I, I I mean I probably use it. I, I I might use it once a script because there's a moment when I feel like when people are arguing. Mm-hmm. It's a great way to like. To, to, to make that feel like Paul just said like they're not listening yeah, to it might be an emphasis moment yeah. or something I use it very sparingly mm-hmm. and the only time I usually use it is like horror scripts mm-hmm. like the script I just I'm redoing now um, there's a scene but there's like a button on the end that it builds up to something so right. it's not just oh I'm just doing it half a cool oh it sounds like real life there's right. a reason for that happening and then you get that good punch at the end I like that button idea That's so awesome. it's a nice button but very sparingly for me but I love mm-hmm. it in other people's writing and mm-hmm. I love that type of thing but for, to do it well, um, for me, yeah. very sparingly. Yeah. Oh, I think to do it well, mm. you have to do it less. Like right. it's okay. very dangerous. Yeah. If you if you do it more than a couple of lines or something, right. then it start to be like, okay, this person's right. in love with the dialogue. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, or they don't know how to do yeah. it. Yeah, right. Yeah, I mean, and where is the story? Well, well and here's, here's the thing: like, technically, mm-hmm. you want to do it in a way where what they're saying like the length of the sentences is kind of the same like if one person's got nine lines and one person has two that necessarily shouldn't be like like dual dialogue you know Cause it, because it looks odd on the page to have like one person right. say so much one person say so little I mean I mean that to me you almost want to just you know take the first person's line and break it in half and say he interrupts and right. then you know and then keep going so I know well, I, work, go ahead, I'm sorry. I was just going to say I, I just when you said that it made me I remembered I did something once and I'm admitting to it right now in mm-hmm. a script I had a, I had an act, (laughs) I had an act and one line at the top of the next page Uh. and I kept trying to cut it and cut it Uh. and so in the previous scene, (laughs) I did dual dialogue. Same pages, yes. Same pages. (laughs) It worked. Okay. I've done that too, but I figured out a way to make it work. To really yeah, make yeah, it work. Yeah. Okay, where, where does he yeah. get it? That's a whole nother thing. It was oh, a dice roll. But I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. I'm going to change the subject. But that's something really important, especially in television. If you're you because you have the act break, you have the act break. You never want that line to overlap or the, or the yeah. actions to overlap into the other page. You want it to be clean on the page. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, I can read a script and go, oh, they haven't read this yet. You know what I mean? Because like, they're not anal about how it looks. Yeah. You know, and on I'm the page. obsessed on how right. scripts look right. and how it looks on the page and the right. format. And if you, yeah, if you've got two or three acts in a, in a spec pilot or something and they're all ending at the top of a page, stuff, I'm like, this person didn't put the work in. Yeah. Now, just to, yeah. before we get yeah. to the next question, just, just since we're talking about dual dialogue because it's talked about overlapping. How do you guys usually do the interruptions? Because what I don't do, I hate when people write interruption. Oh, I'm like, yeah. we get that they interrupted if you put in the ellipses or the dash dash <laughs> right, or whatever right, your style, right. one dash, whatever. What do you guys prefer? I'm a dual dasher. Dual dasher. Yeah, I'm a dual dasher. But yeah. in, in, in the action, if I'm continuing in action, I'll, I'll ellipses. I'll dash, dash, dash. Oh. I mean, and then See? I'll move on to another thing because it keeps it. I'm still talking about the same thing. Mm. But I don't want five lines of. Gotcha. I want one or two right. or three. You know what I mean? To I me, the ellipse, for me personally, the ellipse indicates a pause of some sort. Whereas if I want interruption, 
I'll have the person, the first line of dialogue, and then I, I cut it off with dash, dash. And then the next person who's interrupting, I start their dialogue with dash, dash. Mm. Yes, and, yes, and, yes. And that's it. So I've, it's a I've constant. Done, I've done that, and I've also done it with the ellipses, and then I'll continue with the ellipses. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think it's a style choice. So, yeah, so sure. it is style style choice because there's two people who I've seen do something. Just be consistent is right. my thing. Right. right. Yeah. There's, two people, there's two people who I've seen do something interesting that I've 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 – I like it a lot, mm-hmm. and I and and I want to employ it, but I'm I don't have the balls to employ this yet because I just don't. I feel it's so so stylish. You can buy them on eBay. Is um <laughs> is uh what is is what Aaron Sorkin does is is that the he the, the the dialogue that he wants someone to step over, mm-hmm. he puts in so the, maybe the last two or three words of someone's sentence, he'll put that in parentheses. And then the next line is just the next person talking, and the and the way he's designed the scene is like, oh, he's talking over him. That's why he put. I think that's a theater, like a playwriting thing, because I saw that and I was like, oh, that's interesting. Because I remember I was reading. um, uh, so the, it's still within the dialogue it's, he puts it's, it in yeah, parentheses. Yeah, yeah. So oh, he, yeah, and I was like, okay. oh, that's he doesn't make a parenthetical with a different right. line. No, no, no. He just puts right. the he just last line. It's a theater thing. I was like, oh, that's kind of interesting. And because I was no- noticing that when I was reading the, his Steve Jobs script okay, and the yeah. uh, Social Network, I was like, oh, that's his style. Oh, yeah, I did see this. It's, in Social you know, and and then there was something that Tony Gilroy does is that he puts. I remember there's a line in Michael Clayton's script when Michael Clayton is talking with that rich guy about, you know, so we said last time, he, he, he's like, I'm, I'm not a miracle worker, I'm a janitor. Yeah. And he's talking, and then, he's, and then he does the dash, dash, and then he wrote in parentheses, and, and, he, and, and he wrote stopping because, mm-hmm. dash, dash, and then in the next, next line, his wife has thrown this glass into the sink, you know? So, so, okay. so he cuts mm-hmm. into action yeah. after that. That's I, was like, I was like, that's interesting too. It's like yeah. an interesting way to tell someone the reason why they're stopping. Right. Uh, and I think it's just like a read thing. I don't, so, I don't mean to take up more time on this, but let me just ask, you how do you use parentheticals then because like i probably have five of them in the script i mean i hardly ever use them at all anymore and mainly because like i think i might have been listening to john august and read one of his scripts and he was talking about how how to write toward what you're trying to say so you don't have to use it as much Mm -hmm. and so i'm always thinking about that like how am i Landing it without saying what they're what what yeah, the intention is yeah. that they're trying to say. You should get it by right, what they're doing. Somebody, yeah, you know what I mean. And so, so one of the things that I'll do, like I hardly ever write beat. Mm-hmm. You know, I might I might say like a short action line. Like like somebody says something to you, I might say like off their look and continue. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Just so you know that they looked at them like say what, mm-hmm. and then they kept going like whatever. Right, so I just right. use little. They're very because traditionally it was always like. Beat yeah, <laughs> and then right. go on. Yeah, I don't ever write beat, mm-hmm. but what I do in in place of that because I just to me the word beat always bothered me because mm-hmm. it just felt like a camera direction almost mm-hmm. or something. Is I'll I'll make the parenthetical and I write then. I use then oh, all okay. the time. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I prefer then more than anything else. Yeah. I probably have then through. And if it's days. something specific off of something, then I'll say off Cooper's look mm-hmm. or you know right. whatever. It right. Is. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like I don't. You know, I use parentheticals if I need to, if I realize in writing it, you're going to, that you won't get what I'm saying. 
And sometimes, I mean, you know, and, and maybe I'll do but that. But that's, that's probably yeah, the time that's to probably do the only it. But yeah, it should but, be sparingly. But it's for sparingly. Sure. Right. I mean, a lot. It some, can become a crutch real yeah. quick. Yeah, right. Well, it's two things. It's like, I used to do it a lot because I was like, it, it, I was like, oh, you know what I'm saying. But then it's, it's like what August said, you got to figure out how to write the dialogue. You got to right. figure out how to write the dialogue ahead of time. Or you can put in like that subtext potentially in the action in right. between the lines. Set it up. Set it up. Mm-hmm. Um who was saying something? Oh, I remember one time, and this again, like, like maybe think about go back and rewrite it more. Think about it is um, David Goyer was saying that they asked him what's the, what's the difference. A lot of times when he writes something for to direct something, he's going to turn someone. Mm-hmm. He's like, when I direct it, or if I've, I've or once it's ready to go to production, I go through and, and take all those out. Oh, really? Because I don't want to tell the actor. What that's I think the right. line should be, right. you know. So, so he was like, he was like, a lot of times that shortens the script by a page. Oh yeah, you know, um, which seems. What, what, seems what about you, Lisa? What do you prefer? <sighs> I try to do like a little action line or something like, or the then mm-hmm. thing. Yeah. In the early days when you were beginning, yeah, baby we were writer, beating, we, we were, were all beating, 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 we beating the script to death. <laughs> but I just always try to like. Mm. Write it in there where I don't have to use it, but if I have to now, I start using the then parentheses right. thing, you know, to right. give it a little little pause. Sometimes I'll do like then dot, dot, dot. Yeah. Just because either there might have been a longer pause. Right, right. You know what I mean? So it's like an intention. Mm-hmm. Like I'm trying to, it's also a style intention, right. you know what I mean? So what this, this next? next question is from Gavin John at Gavin John B. And I'm assuming, is it John B. Gavin? But it's Gavin John. No, it's Gavin John. Hey, hey, one of this the one is for you. So this is for Paul. Fizz Hog. Hey, man. I've been reading What'd it do? Ma- <laughs> hey, Gav. I'm busy right now. Hey, hey man. I'm doing been, a podcast. I've been reading... <laughs> so he says, Hey, man. I've been reading as many pilot TV scripts I can find. Most of them are the simple four acts, but a lot are five and even six acts. Which drives your decision to do four or five or six acts on a spec pilot script? Thanks, Paul. Um, I, I think we all know this question. <clears throat> I mean, it was always... for one Speaking one-hour drama, not half-hour comedies... It was always four acts. That was the thing. Four act structure because those were the commercial breaks. And then 10 years 15 ago. Yeah, years ago, yeah. something like that, it went to, I think CBS was the first one to go to five acts. Right. They added another commercial break. Mm-hmm. And then now they're six acts. I think the running time Plus now. Plus a teaser or a cold open. Yeah. yeah. I, I think the running time now is like 41 something on a 60 minute show, which is insane. And I think we, were, we were 52, 52, 53. So yeah. See, that's, and that's what it used, that's what it should be, used to be. Mm-hmm. So, but you're on cable though, so right. we can push the time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. We don't have as many commercials probably. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. This is broadcast. This is broadcast is five, six acts now. Mm-hmm. And, Spec, it's. I think it's totally up to you. I, here's something, and I know I am in the minority on this. Okay, I can't stand act breaks because it's false. It's about advertising and selling mm-hmm. soap. And whenever I write a spec of anything, I don't put in any act breaks. I don't do. I write it like it's going to be on HBO or Showtime. Mm-hmm. Whether it's you know, and well, I we just, all have cable voices. For yeah, one thing. I mean, yeah. you come from network, but you have a cable voice yeah. for mm-hmm. sure. <clears throat> well, I mean, like I agree with everything that Paul says. I mean, the the main thing is that it's it's it's. I mean, sometimes I might write. Well, here's the thing: if I'm doing an outline, mm-hmm. I'm going to put the act breaks in the outline just because I'm thinking, oh, yeah. okay, okay, how do I want to like? Just you need to know where they are. Yeah, I think, you need to know where yourself. they are. I don't like to put them in the script. Um, I just don't. I mean, it, it, yeah, and the five and six thing is all about money. So, you know. Well, I mean, for me, I mean, I don't know what you guys, we all do film too, every one of us. And for me, I write the USC um, 
um, sequence approach. So everything is in eight sequences. So for me, what I've done, what I've learned is now that it's, you know, the cold open and six acts, I'm like, okay, it's basically almost eight sequences are just a lot shorter. You know what I mean? So I figured out a way to adapt my feature writing into my TV writing so it kind of makes the most sense to me. So the, the actually the more acts there are don't bother me at all because I'm like, well, I was going to chunk them up anyway. So it, all I do is keep that going so every 10 pages some something rises and falls, rises and falls, rises and falls until, oh, shit, you know, we end up this moment. Yeah, well, you know, listen, because I remember <clears> there was an episode of, of this show or maybe I heard just... Jeff Melvoin talking one time and he was saying something like a TV show now has like 42 beats to it. And I was like, what are you talking about? And I had to ask him and he was like, well, you know, like he said, like the dynamic mm-hmm. needs to change 42 times in a pilot, you know, or, or an episode. And I was like, well, I was like, this is so strange. Like, it's such a strange way to look at it. He was like, we're just, he, he, he was like, he was like, this is the number of people at, he was like, that's the number of the network people, you know, like throw around because they need to understand how the story works, you know, because they don't get how the story works. But that, to me, that's just like the worst thing you could ever say to a, a writer, especially an up and coming writer. Totally you get their head that thinking, 42 beats weight. I got to think. It's all, then it becomes math and forensics. Right. And, you know, the other reason, like, I won't, I won't put act breaks in an outline and stuff is because I've done enough production now where I have seen act breaks change right. in editing that have nothing to do with right. how you planned it out when you wrote right. the script and everything it's so random and it's right. so whatever the showrunner's sure. thinking it's a puzzle. they're like that works singing. better there yeah, yeah. it's yeah. like I mean and hmm. I just so uh, for me Gav Specs I just eliminate it totally because there's nobody I guarantee you if you write a great spec there is not one person that's going to read and go, wow, I love this, but he didn't put act breaks in. He didn't in. put no act breaks in. <laughs> so I'm going to not. But at the same time, the same time, you actually, you, 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 someone who's reading could say, well, why did he end the act break here? He could have ended it in the, the, like the Correct. previous scene. I've done it many times. That like, happened why did they, in one of the pilots yeah, I just read. Better place the to Solidarity end it, Challenge. Yeah, there yeah. was something, and she, God bless the writer, but it was like three of her five act breaks, I was like, oh, she missed it. Right. She yeah. had like there was right. the perfect moment that was the act break, and then there was another yeah. scene. Another scene. Like, what are you doing? And, so. and a lot of times, younger writers do that because they don't realize they think that they're on the page count, so it needs to end. Exactly. Not on the moment. Not on the. the don't the ever follow the page don't. count rules. <laughs> nope. Don't follow the page count rules. Exactly. Because exactly. here's the thing with the page, <laughs> just real quick, the page count rules. You watch your uh, look. The movies you love. Are breaking rules every time with everything. I was, I was just an example of, of just fucking everyone with like how late a character can be introduced. Is an Empire Strikes <laughs> Back. Mm-hmm. Lando doesn't get introduced until an hour and forty four minutes into the movie. Crazy. That's page one hundred and four. What happened today? <laughs> I don't think that can happen. Today. No, but Lando, who's a, who's critical to the story, crazy. comes in at a hundred, which means that which means they get to Cloud City at like right. an hour and forty one. I was like, what the fuck? You no, know, that would never happen. No, today. I'm trying no. to think. Has anything recently had that happen? No, because they're fucking afraid. No. They're afraid. Everyone's afraid. Everybody would, would have something to say, like, Everyone oh, this is too convenient. Right in the same all of a sudden, script. you brought them in. They all read the same script. You know? Yeah, because they all read the same books. That same book. <laughs> and they haven't watched Citizen <laughs> Kane, so they don't know what the fuck is going on. So I'm going to read a statement, a tweet that Paul put out. Uh oh. Oh, geez. So Poggy over at Fizzhog. Uh, oh, no. No, it's just what you said. This is what you tweeted. So, unless someone else... This isn't one of your joint <laughs> not, tweets. Not you, okay. not you on your... <laughs> <laughs> He's getting on tape over 
The only people that say that's not racist are racist. <laughs> is that a drunk statement? Is this a drunk uh, one? So what, this is Paul, what stands out to me and will get you noticed is voice, originality. Don't do it like these lame ass books tell you to do it. <laughs> <laughs> Write your story your way. I'll discuss more in the next Screenwriters Right Room podcast. Uh, disclaimer. So, disclaimer. <laughs> we don't know him. <laughs> we don't know him. <laughs> Go ahead. Uh, tell us. Tell us where this no, came you from. You know what? It, it's it, it's so true because I've been like I, I said the the you know I got back on Twitter mainly for what was going on with the WGA right. and and the whole staffing bo- bo- boost. Thing mm-hmm. and the and the WJ Solidarity Challenge hashtag, you know, a lot of upper level writers reading, you know, younger, newer writers, <clears throat> and uh, and I started reading. I agreed to read a bunch of scripts in the last couple of weeks, oh, and I've been so reading lovely. through them. You've been, you've been through you. quite a few of them so yeah. far. I have, and and I'm so happy because generally they're fantastic. Like mm-hmm. for like more than half, almost three quarters of what I've read so far have been great, mm-hmm. and that's so awesome. But a couple of them. And this is this is the problem. This is why I rant against these fucking gurus and these books and these seminars and these online classes. Everybody's reading the same books. Everybody's taking the same classes. Everybody's paying the same people for the secret to screenwriting. And what's happening is they're all writing the exact same, same script. Mm-hmm. They come out and the structure's bulletproof and everything fits in, in the way, you know, and the first act ends here and the inciting incident's here and it's all great and, and the story might even be good, mm-hmm. but you can't tell any of them apart yeah. because there's no voice, there's no originality. And I, I just gave notes to one of the writers I read. The script was completely, perfectly fine, like right. well-written, would you know make any contest semifinal whatever right, right. would get them in a room for a meeting it was completely fine but it it didn't stand out at all because there was no voice there there was no it was just everything was written and you could just tell it's from it's from the how to books you know mm-hmm. there's just not too much description just enough description there's no more you know than three or four lines and then there's page break and there's there are, i mean a line break and there's it, it, it just, and I was sad because it was like, wow, there's potentially some really cool characters in the story. And it's kind of an original take on a, you know, classic genre. But there was just no voice. And, and I noticed what this writer was doing. There, was a, there were a couple of places in the script where at the end of a little bit of description or what's called an action line, this writer just added like this little tag, which was really cool it was like i'm trying to think of of something without giving away who it was or what the script was Mm -hmm. but it was like they would they would write something you know there was an action sequence or an argument fight kind of thing going on in the script and then you know this character does xyz period and then they just added this thing like because success is my motherfucking plan like, uh, and I so was just like, they're in the characters' heads. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like and it was that. like, yeah. they're talking. To There's you. their voice. Mm-hmm. There it is. Right. Where's that in the other 98 percent of right. the script? You know. And I could just tell this writer, and and I think they were like a writer's assistant or something mm-hmm. on show. So it's like they were playing by the rules. Right. Mm-hmm. And but they then were they afraid, put themselves in. Right yeah, there. but they were afraid to write right. the whole script like that. Right. And and what I believe with every fiber of my being is that any executive producer writer director upper level whatever we will take 
a script that may be structurally flawed or even have some story flaw that is just written completely original and fantastic than something that is absolutely textbook perfect but has no soul, no voice. And that's the hard thing because you really can't teach voice. Nope. You cannot. And like you said, and like, you know, when we read for contests and stuff, the same thing. You have these scripts and you're like, yeah, or, you know, read for for the the, the Cosby Cosby Fellowship or just different, you know, contests and things. And you read them. And like you said, the structure's great, looks great. But that it factor, that thing that pops out that makes you go, wow, or makes you want to read the page again. Mm -hmm. And I don't know how to convey that to people and how... To be able to tell them that you can't teach voice, that it's something innate, and I don't know if that's your lived experience or if you need to branch out. See, I, I, believe out it's, I believe that there's probably a lot more voice out there than we know, but they're all being led to believe right. don't have a voice, right. follow these rules. You know, read Save the Cat, read right. McKee's story, read this, read that, take this class, pay these people over here who've never done it. And, and they're all teaching this forensic analysis bullshit, you know, where they can say, this is exactly why Witness or the Godfather works, because it does this, this, and this. Hey, but they can't put some tell respect you. on the Godfather's name, <laughs> sir. <laughs> sir. But, but here's what <laughs> yes. they don't do. Here's what McKee and all of them cannot do, because they are not writers, is they can't tell you why another film that hits those exact same, same beats point, exactly. and does exact same things exactly. is terrible. Right. They can't tell you why they never talk well, about well, that. Because they don't dissect well, those. Well, well, yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. they can't, because they don't know why it doesn't work. Right. They exactly. only know why they say this, well, it's this, this, and this. You know? exactly. Okay, so two things. That's the thing that I think people need to, 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 to be real cognizant of. Uh, a, watch movies that fuck up and think about why they fucked up. You say up. that all the time. Say that all the fucking yes. time. I, I watch it all the time. I'm like, God damn, they fucked this up and it was a good <laughs> idea. Good idea and they fucked it up. The thing about voice, I think you can teach voice. I really think you can, and this is. But I think that people are, are that these 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 masterminds who cut hundreds of thousands of dollars a year don't teach voice. I remember I was reading like. How do you teach voice though? All, all right, so so this is the thing, right? You like the, the way you speak and the way you are. That is your voice. The question is, do you know how to put it down on the page? That's the key. Now, the, now the thing is, you. The, th- the thing is, people have learned how to write in an academic way because, as we said this the other time, that everyone thinks writing is what you do because you have to do it in school. But creative writing is like, how do I take what's in my head and put it down on paper? How do I write those? Because the voice is not the voice of the characters. The voice is the is, is the voice of you, and it's basically you need to say, and it's a tricky thing, but it's kind of like you need to say how do I look at the world? How do I describe things? You've probably said descriptions about things that that, that make your friends laugh or something like that. Right. And, you, and you just step back and think about that and say that's how I describe something. Or you do the thing like what you're saying, Paul, is like you got to figure out how to, to say things in scripts in a way that 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 are different. Like I was just you know I'm doing this thing because I take the you know I take the train to work and I and I read a lot of scripts on the way to work. And I was reading Hell or High Water the other day, mm. and he had this really fucking. And it's like on the first page, he's trying to tell you how. On the web page? The first page. On the web page? The first page. Underline yeah. that? In the first <laughs> half of the first page, <laughs> he's trying to tell you about like how. how like, like. How blighted it is in the in Texas in the in the West Texas how hot it is mm-hmm. and there's a line where he's like there's these cows that are like they're chewing on like on, on, on like burnt grass mm-hmm. and these and 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 he's, and then the cool part is and there's two bulls in the shade that have traded coolness for 
like coolness over hunger. Mm. And I was like, yeah, yeah. that's dope. Yeah. That's, that's, that's dope. Yeah. That's, that's dope, dope because that lets you know. Yeah. He, I mean, look, it's got, and, and, and you know what? You know what the fuck the bulls are thinking? But mm. it lets you know that he's making the decision right. about, hey, and the cool, cool thing he does in that script is, this, this, is kind of, this is what you're saying, Paul, is that at the end of like really interesting scenes when mm-hmm. you know that and I remember seeing this movie it's like when, like we, and when you and they did this and they the director shot this too that when they're driving down the road or stuff like that and the camera's gonna pan off he has like a two line description about stuff hmm. about the environment right. about there's this coyote one time where there's a fire and it like runs and jumps and it's like he didn't write it in there but it adds to this, this the environment of West Texas and how that works and I was hmm. like this is juicy brilliant it's, shit it's, it's funny you say that because for me I tell people all the time I've read thousands of scripts and I'm not exaggerating the ones that move me are the ones I actually I'm not that drawn to dialogue. I'm drawn to descriptions and actions. It's because of those moments. Like where they're talking to you about, like a car zooms over a hill. In the background is a world where, blah, blah, blah. can you imagine? They're like talking to you. Can you, ma- you imagine a world where there was no sun? This is the place. You, you know what I mean? Do you it's remember, like, oh, was, it, was it Spellman's? Do you remember Fade the Fuck In? Oh, my God. <laughs> was that Spellman's? Yes, yes. Yeah. What's it called? What's his... Malcolm's um, Malcolm's yeah Yeah. Uh, 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 was it fate yeah no it was fate the fuck in fade fade the the fuck in and right there in in, in a handful of words you're like okay this guy's got game and I am in Malcolm's taking his he just bought himself 80 pages I'm gonna give him before he he could screw up that's the first three I'm gonna give him 80 you earned it right and that was what I just had another rant and then we'll get to the next one but about this thing about again the We're not fucking books We're not and the con men and guru stuff all about like you gotta grab the reader in the first page you gotta grab them in the first ten pages because they only read ten pages and you gotta you do got, this and you gotta yeah, y'all that. gotta grab me <laughs> but, but here's the there's thing there's too much stuff out there in the here's, world <laughs> here's what grabs me though is not putting something in that's inauthentic to your story that's, that's in an effort to I'm gonna throw this in there to try to grab the reader I'm grabbed by great writing, like wait, like yeah. fade the fuck in. Yes, that's, boom, my man. That's tone. That's too. tone. Yeah, exactly. that's all tone. Yeah. That's yeah. voice. Well, well, yeah. well, well, all connected. Well, you know, people have yes. a hard time differentiating between voice and tone. But right. the, but 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 the, you're right. I mean, to me, look, y- you don't have to uh, wait pages. I know if I want to read your script, like what we're saying, these things that, that you know what it's like. I know I'm in good hands mm-hmm. when I read shit like that. That's it. And That's at that key. point, right. I can allow these things where the incident doesn't have to ha- happen on page 10. Mm-hmm. These, these other things can happen at their own pacing. Because here's the thing that I think is fucked up about when people talk to you about this, these page counts and, and, and the, they correspond to movies, and sh- the movie mm-hmm. time, stuff like that. You start a movie and... And the timer begins the minute the company's logo fades on. <laughs> so by the time the story begins, you might be two minutes in, you know, before you actually see story, mm-hmm. and th- and therefore that's almost disrupting your your pace count. You better follow because that means really at twelve minutes in something's going to happen. Mm-hmm. That's really only ten minutes in because you spent too much time, on, or you know. Or, or, or people spend a certain amount of time like on the credits to change, you know, because 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 they're using the credits as a tone piece to tell the story. That's why you can't follow that shit. And here's something interesting about McKee that I think is really fucking funny. His actual writing in the book 
He's got a voice in the oh book. Oh my god! But it's like but the dude can write. Yeah, you can't take it away. Yeah, but it's like but you, but you're not telling it. But you're not right. telling anybody Agreed. to write that way. <laughs> right. You know, I think no. it's. I think and it's he obviously weird. didn't do it himself because he failed for 20 years He's as a screenwriter right, before yeah. he turned to a guru. Right. And yeah. It's and like here's like the other thing about this like and and again it goes to what you said, Lisa. Like we don't have time to read bad script. You know, like like there's certain but I one of these other. Um, scripts I just I just recently read. First block of description is is describing this this female character who, who turns out to be the lead, but it's just a description of of her waking up, which you've read a million uh, times, mm-hmm. and it's like you know usually you know Forty's like unaware of her natural beauty and all this you know all the tropes and all the right. cliches everything. This one in just like a sentence and a half had a description that was so unique and fresh and so like I immediately saw a three-dimensional version of this character. I was in because I knew this person could write. And the story, which was a a crime procedural, kind of was slow getting going and stuff, but I was in because this is good writing. So you were looking for more. I was, and I I was getting it. So even though like somebody could break that down structurally from a, you know, guru standpoint right. and go well you didn't do this here by page six and you right. didn't do this mm-hmm. here and you right. need to move this up i was like no i'm enjoying the read right. because right. this is a good right. writer and it doesn't have to be like we talk about the first few pages it doesn't have to be bombastic things happening right. it's just that like you said it's like that tone that subtle it's that trust that mm-hmm. hey you're taking me somewhere and i'm gonna trust this voice and i you know what i want to follow you i want to exactly. i want to see where yeah. this goes well, and you ever you ever open up anything from stephen king and just read the pe- first page you're just like who he is the smartest person in the world? He's, I mean, just he's dope as hell. He's, I can't. The pros are uh, amazing. When I can't think, I pull out something on him and go, "Damn, how can I think like that?" That's people of Maine. <laughs> you know That's people mean? from Maine. I tell you. <laughs> I, see here, I, I've, I've got one last thing, which is the next question. Okay. So, I want to say, yeah, it's uh, I, I can't remember the, his name is Hosseini. He wrote Drive, the movie Drive. Mm-hmm. I, I okay. <laughs> People should find a script, or maybe I'll put it in the show notes if I can find it. I want to say it's two pages of description mm. before you hear any dialogue. Mm. And it's like, do what? And it's these big blocks of text, like five really? and six lines, and really? these big chunks of paragraph. I was like, motherfucker, what are you? Wow. But you know what? Everyone loved that movie. Mm-hmm. Super stylistic. Mm-hmm. And I was like, but you know what? It works for what he's trying to do. He's, I mean, he, I mean, if you remember that movie, there's no dialogue in right. the beginning for a while. It's mm-hmm. like the car's driving around, right. but he's setting this tone about this, this, this about what that guy's life is and what it's like in LA. And he's mm-hmm. trying to drive and just, and you, and you feel like you're on the streets with him. Mm-hmm. And he did that on the page. And it's like, yeah, it's two pages of like heavy language, right. but you buy it because you read the first couple of sentences. And you're like, motherfucker, let's keep going. But to me, that's a, when it's written well, to me, that's a style choice, too. Completely. I mean, you, I think all of us would prefer to see it more leaner on the page, but if you, if you, if you can, can execute... Me. If you can get me... I mean, me. most of us have like... You know what's not lean? 12 Years a Slave. I was just about to say. <laughs> and um, that, that is yeah. a dense fucking there script, but you are... Boom. You're writing, you're writing, you're writing. What's that? All right, our next... Wait, wait, wait. wait. Oh, One ahead, more ahead, really ahead. quick thing, because this is just what we're talking about. Uh-huh. This is the opening line of a book, which I... But it's called The Last Good Kiss by James Crumling. Okay. Great crime novelist okay. who's not there. Okay. And this, to me, like this epitome... And I don't care if it's a book. Screenwriter, poet, right. prose writer. <laughs> How are you not going to keep reading this book when the opening line is... 
When I finally caught up with Abraham Trehane, he was drinking beer with an alcoholic bulldog named Fireball Roberts in a ramshackle joint just outside of Sonoma, drinking the heart right out of a fine spring afternoon. Mm. That's dope. He's drinking booze with drinking a dog. A dog, a bulldog named Fireball mm. Roberts. Who's alcoholic. Who's an alcoholic. An alcoholic bulldog. Like, That's the bulldog I want to hang around. Drinking the heart out of what? Drinking the heart out of a fine oh, spring afternoon. afternoon. See, that's beautiful. Uh. Like, and here's the deal. I know it's poetic. I know it's very prose. But there's no reason you can't put that in the script. Yes, exactly. You feel me? You, you should always, think like look, that. Look, look. Yeah. This is the thing that I we, can see the bulldog right now. You feel me? Yeah. But see, that's the thing that William Goldman said in his book, which I don't think people read anymore, called called um, Adventures in the Screen Trade. He was talking about how screenplay writing is not like novel writing or not like short story writing. It's like writing poetry because poetry like uses the less, it, it, it has to work by using less words to create these larger ideas because mm-hmm. maybe I got like 15 lines yeah. to tell you what might take, you know, you know, 15 pages to tell you. Yeah. That's what the beauty of like, you know, the damn heart of a sweet afternoon. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's... The, the thing I'm waiting for to <clears throat> when I, you know, finally have a show on there or so many people start to pay attention to me like I've been waiting is because (laughs) no one and I mean from August and Mason all the way down the line no one who talks about screenwriting ever talks about the language Hmm. and to me that is one of if not the most important thing in writing a script and it's like my thing is like someday I'm going to be holding seminars and giant places for free (laughs) for free (laughs) and just talking about because no one talks about what it's off of what you're saying Chris the the language the words you use everybody's so caught on you know it's like oh he walked into a room that was really sparse you know (laughs) (laughs) yeah but see see, that's why I love Gilroy so like like I was I'm working on a script and I have a guy and he walks into a fortune teller's tent mm-hmm. and I'm, you know, and I was like, I, I, I like, so what do I want to say for this? Like, how do I want to, I'm, I'm, and this is going to be just two sentences to give you everything. And, and I was like, opium dim lighting, mm-hmm. candles thick as your thigh. That was that. Ooh, that was was it. That was like boom, boom. It's like poetry. Okay, I'm stealing that. Okay, I'm stealing that. So it's a boom, boom. I've stolen a lot of his stuff. That's bars. I'm just like, hey, you know what? Boom. That's all I need because because I got a lot more stuff that I have to get into in that scene. And I'm kind of like, you know what? A fortune teller candles. Because your thighs. Because that can be used. That can describe a woman. I mean, it's just all candles. It's already given you like the subtext. Sensualness without even. Well, yes, exactly. Exactly. Hold on, Richard, Don't my assistant over here. Don't get it. You ain't got bars like that. <laughs> 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 Give us some. What you got? So this is this is the thing, Paul. That like I've thought about this too. Is that I've thought about if I you know if, if I get a movie made, mm-hmm. something like that. That what I would love to do is the Spike Lee thing, where it's like I would publish a book of the screenplay, and all I like to say is say here's like the here's the early draft. Here's the next draft. Yeah. Do you mm-hmm. see what I did? Right. Because that's that's the 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 one thing that taught me the mm-hmm. most on that was. In Stephen King's book on writing, on writing yeah. he has that section where he's like, "Here's the opening right. scene from like from Room for fourteen oh eight, and he's like, and then here's the next scene. It's all fucking strap, and he's got, he's got all his editing marks mm. in there. You can and you can see his process. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that's dope. That's going right. to teach you mm-hmm. so much more than twenty <laughs> books written by people that can't write screenplays. So here's our next one. This is from uh, His Royal Highness Prince Skyler at Skyler 
underscore writer. There are <laughs> one of our so many writers out there, especially in LA. What are some things unrepresented non-WGA writers can do to get themselves noticed and even considered for writing work? Hill Dog. Um, I, you know what? I went to you ahead. because I know one of the things that when I first met you and stuff and started getting to know you that just blew my mind was how hard you worked before you ever got represented, before you ever, you know, had the big agent and had all that. You were busting your ass all the time and people were coming to you mm-hmm. and you weren't somebody that could say like, oh, I did five years on right. Grey's Anatomy. Yeah. Like, so I want you to answer this. Well, I mean, I was just talking about this the other day about who we are is about like where we're from. And I don't know if it's just being... Uh, a black, you know, the back, the black gay Afro punk kid from the Bay. Mod. All that. <laughs> Sometimes it's easier to say Afro punk because they don't get it. Mm-hmm. Um, being the underdog kid where I'm from has a drive. Like you, here's, here's, here's where I think it comes from. I remember it like this. When I was younger, you know, a lot of us grew up in the black churches, right? Mm-hmm. So um, the pastor of our church was this woman and she had five kids and one of them was my age. And literally, so black churches, a lot of people know. So we go to church on Sunday, right? But we have, well, we go to church like four days a week. Y'all motherfuckers show up once a week, right? For an hour and shit. Uh, no, I only show up on Easter. <laughs> I'm generalized. All right. Christmas. So trip. So you're there from like nine in the morning on Sunday, three o'clock in the afternoon, church is over. You've been there that long. Ooh, Your right. ass is not eaten, nice. right? So as soon as it's over, they're serving food. And here's what happens. So we're all in line. Well, all those five pastors' kids get to go right to the front, right? So that PKs. always irked me, right? That I needed to Preach be somebody. Yeah. So it's made me work harder. And then fast forward, when I started acting when I was 12 years old and started doing a lot of commercials and all this stuff like that, um, I was the first one to make money. So I moved out of my family's house and moved to San Francisco, right? So this, this is all going to tie in just a sec. So this is about drive. This is where I'm going. Mm-hmm. So, so when I moved to the city and I started getting acting roles, I was like, wow, every time I get a role in something, I was telling you guys about Midnight Caller. You know, they would hire Lorenz Tate or somebody else like that to be the star of the episode, and I had to be the best friend. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Or whatever. So I was always the underdog trying to get somewhere else. So my drive is different than most people's. I didn't graduate from high school. I never went to college. So... All of my friends did, you know, so I'm always the one who's trying to be better than everybody else. You know, I always have something to prove. So when the writer strike happened and I know this is a long way when the writer strike happened, I was like, I need to be my own boss. I'm waiting for Hollywood to hire me all the time. And that's why I was like, okay, well, I control myself. You know, I know all the people in L.A. that I need to make a project. So I made a project. It became critically acclaimed. You know what I mean? And then I started making other projects, and then they started doing well. And then I was able to open my own company. You know what I mean? So that's why I worked it from the outside. It wasn't that I wasn't trying to, you know, work on a network show. It's just I didn't right. have time to work on an issue because I was already making a show. Yeah. It was and just you, smaller versions. And also I think, too, what's key what you just said is you didn't make your one thing right. that got critical and claimed and said, okay, where's my keys to the city now? Right. You just went right on, on to the, the next, next thing. So right and you on went on to the next, next thing. So that's what you, I mean, is that what you'd say to somebody who's, who's unrepped and non-union and all that? Like, well, I what's would, their best way to get noticed? I would say today, well, are you doing TV or are you doing film, first of all? Because they're, 
a little different. If you were doing film, I'd say write the fucking baddest script you think you can write that's from the heart and, and, and fucking put that thing on the blacklist. You'd be surprised at what happened today. It's it's that easy now, unfortunately. You know what I mean? Well, yeah, Where well, we didn't have we it didn't before. Have that, right, you know what I mean? right, okay, right. so I mean, look, I've learned a lot about drive, about perseverance, about like resilience just by hanging out with Hillier. Mm-hmm. And what the thing you have to do is that I learned from him is is that you write and do the next thing, and it's 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 so much about doing the work. Like you cannot feel that one project is going to launch you right. and do not feel heartbroken if the project you've been wanting to do forever that you spent five years on for some strange reason you spent that much time exactly. on it I mean and, and it's and, and part of experience is knowing how to like cut off the emotional tide of the work that you're doing after you've done the best with it now you have to again what here you're just saying is like you have to do the best that you can do and you keep working and you just I mean I mean good writing and good work will um, it's gonna rise to the top if you're writing yeah. movies you gotta say, you, have to, you have to say something you have to ask yourself a bunch of questions if you, if you, if you want to do movies you have to say to yourself is the movie I'm doing something that no one has ever seen before because we're at an age and are going to want to see and want to see because we're, we're at an age and we're the, oversaturated yeah, with so yeah. much stuff well, well but here's the thing but the, you know I was at this seminar the other day and it's like they were because there was such a uh, such a time where DVD was like this crutch for film and we saw all this shit movies getting made from like the mid 90s like home video in general was like Guess what? Schlock can make money, so people will just keep making good stuff. But hey, don't I need schlock in my life? No. Sometimes you need that. Well, sometimes you to do. Know what the good yeah, stuff yeah, is? Yeah, yeah, but you can't. It's, but and, and so now it's don't like undermine you just, the quiet. You, you, <laughs> you, you have to say to yourself, you know, like where's your movie gonna live? And if your movie's gonna live in the theater, then it's gotta be something that I've never fucking seen before in such a way that it's like, oh wow, uh, because it's, it's, and if you see someone who, who did a movie that was that's that you like, and you go, well, I should be doing mine like that. No, 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 no. That's that's it for you. So that's one thing. If and but if your movie wants to live on Netflix, then you can tell a whole bunch of stories in Netflix that used to be schlock, and, you know, and be out on video. That's the thing. But but you have to do the great work because the bar to do a movie is so high right now because no one has the ability it's like the, the industry the economics have changed in a way that it has to be so fucking good and the thing is a small movie can be fucking really good but it's gonna be something we've never seen before yep. now well, we're talking about the last black man in San Francisco I mean, well, yeah. and Latoya well, Morgan when she did that <clears> hashtag <throat> what's the hashtag for writing, uh, writing WJ staffing boost yeah so check out that hashtag definitely some people what's the other one solidarity uh, WJ solidarity right. challenge like Those right now what's Liz is one what's, what's that? that oh Liz doesn't have one she just did the the the, she created the, the grid, or the grid yeah. right? Yeah. So check out that hashtag. The, we're gonna have her on the show, by the way. She mm-hmm. was talking to her the other day. So yeah. I mean, for those who are underrepresented, and just because people are looking, people are looking. So I would say check out those hashtags definitely, and maybe interact with those people that are commenting and you know making threads off of that. Yeah. Um, it's just so much, so much content out there. But I, being the hopeful person, I even though I'm a hopeful pessimist. <laughs> but see, um, I, I just feel like. There's so much platforms and stuff, and like Paul said, the thing that's going to get it, your stuff has to be original, and that voice has got to like, 
there's just so much stuff out there that you really got to come and bring something that's amazing. And it's hard to say that because everyone thinks their story is amazing. Mm -hmm. But the thing is, a lot of people have a lot of amazing stuff out there. And I don't want to make, you know, people feel like, oh, I might as well give up and not do it because there's so much. You're still unique. It's just that you just got to like really make sure that you you put your stink on it and, and, and find something that most people haven't done it. Even if you're doing something that's a similar story that we've seen before, what is your spin on it that is so different that's going to make things make me want to come right. see it? Well, see, but the two things about that is that one, there's always been the high number of people who <laughs> want to who want to write and be <clears throat> do that. The, the the difference is now is because there's so much content. There's more opportunities now. Mm-hmm. The fact that there's like Netflix and shit like that, and mm-hmm. that would take so much shit. I mean, if you if you just went child, back, if you gone through some of the stuff that Netflix has picked up, I'm like, really Netflix? Yeah, but yeah, really. It's, it's, it's like, what they is all this? Content? Content. This, this they has been need the, thing. the content. They need, and, 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 this and be the, the stuff in the back of Blockbuster video. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Be honest. Exactly. I mean, exactly. I mean, and, and honestly, like you know, like ten years ago, same number of people who fucking want to write. Same number of people, but there's less. Uh, there's there was less opportunities for you to write, so you so don't feel like we're just saying like oh my god, there's too many people and blah 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 on the content. No, no, you should look at it like shit. There's Shutter. There's all these little places that yes, if, all this you know what? Is ridiculous. So and I'm watching streaming. and I'm watching most honestly most of the stuff that I'm watching now, mm-hmm. even though I'm paying money for like Amazon Prime and I'm watching shit on YouTube. Mm-hmm. People putting their own content and creating their own stuff and making their. Own, I'm watching shorts. I'm watching little films. Yeah. I'm hoping they're getting, be able to get monetized, you know, if they do that. There's, but. there's some evidence for that now. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Um, I was just going to say, and number one, you got to be aware of the way the action is. You know what I mean? That's the truth. I mean, you can. <sighs> it is. Yes, you can be a feature writer and write from out of town. You hear these stories all the time. Nine times out of ten, somebody who lived in Australia or something who won Austin Film Festival or something and then Hollywood jumped on them. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. They don't just... How do you get your, your, your projects out there if you're not around people? Well, if you're not... Hold on. If you're not at the right coffee shop. If you're not at the right event at the movie standing in line at the grocery store. If you're store, not you networking and taking advantage of mixers and going out and putting... All that. As we know writers, we like to be in our heads, and, and, but you got to get out. You have to know other people. It, and it, most of the... Most, I'm sorry. I know, Chris, I keep interrupting. I apologize. Most people in Hollywood today, TV is the new shit. So if you are writing film and you think you're just a film writer, two years later you're going, shit, I need to do some TV. So you're going to have to get used to working with people. Mm-hmm. You're going to have to use, get used to having that, that group of you know, writer's room type Collaborating. of Collaborating. You've got to build that now because you're going to get in a room and be cold as hell. <laughs> you'll be the only one sitting there not talking. You know what I mean? Well, yeah. And they're going to spot you a mile away. Well, I mean, like, a pack, like a pack of yeah. hyenas. And Paul Gio, showrunner here, is going to be like, thank you very much. We're going to let you go. <laughs> <laughs> you too quiet, bitch. You too quiet. Go. Here, Wait, see, let me stamp your, your parking I, ticket I didn't mean to hire a mime. <laughs> okay, so there's two things about that. Is, is that you have to, uh, I mean, it's the, thing that, it's the thing that like I'm going through now. By spending so much of my time like writing features, I just don't know enough people in television. You know, and that and jobs in television are given by someone knows you, and it's almost it's almost more than the people we, that you meet on every show mm-hmm. who got there because not because of their writing, because they knew someone. Right. And 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 I'm not saying their writing is terrible, but it's like, hey, they are they're adding something else to the situation. If you want to write features, the thing you got to realize is two things: one, 
the business is, is not about you writing the original feature. It's mm. about you being strong enough to rewrite what they got in development because that's pretty much all the, that's where the money is. Right. I mean, if you have the ability or if, if you want to go indie route, you might get more money in the long run because of the way, if, if the movie gets made and they do make more movies that, that through indie, but, <clears throat> but that requires you almost being here too because you got to know people. You know, and you look around. I mean, like I meet people all the time who are like, "Hey, can you? Oh, I heard, I heard about you. I want to meet you. Can, can you about a feature? Can we talk about this? You know, and it's not going to happen if I'm not here. Right. So totally. So I mean, I know that um, probably didn't fully answer your question. <laughs> we answered a lot of stuff, but I mean, honestly, you got to be here and you got to take risks. You know, that's the key. I mean, I my first script that I wrote went to the finals of Sundance, and just because I didn't know what Sundance was. I was like, fuck it, I'm just going to send my script. I never heard of it before. And sent it, it was like 2002. <laughs> you know what I mean? Sent it off. And guess what? That same script that I wrote in 2002 is what got me to write this thing for Ridley Scott. Sometimes your script has legs. Mm-hmm. You don't even know. Now, I've polished that script over the years, but still, it still has legs. Sometimes, and we were talking about this the other day, Chris. Sometimes you write a script, and it's just a sample. You, you think, oh, this is going to sell because everybody loves it. But it's just a sample. Sometimes it's very complicated to do. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So you should have several of those, you know. Oh, sorry. And the next one? Why are you taking your time? No, because he has our questions on the phone, and he has a fancy iPhone <laughs> that has all this, this, the biometrics scanning my eye. And you know you want the whole thing, Chris. Just so the next know. question? I, I, I can't eat the whole thing. It's I right can, here? but I don't want to. I'm afraid I did, to. I did that. Oh, you did that? Oh, shit. I'm, I'm afraid to eat that. Uh, okay. One of our longtime listeners, Celia Gray. Hi, Celia. It's Celia Gray. So, how important and helpful do you think are screenwriting contests like Blue Cat for new screenwriters with no industry connections struggling to break into the film industry? Paul. <laughs> Just Paul going to uh, go in on this. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to be in the minority, and I'm it's sure. Fine. I feel like, unless it's Nichols, <laughs> unless it's Austin, every other contest is a complete waste of money. And time because they're going to promise you shit and all it is is it's validation. It's making somebody feel good. You win Blue Cat. Oh wow! What I mean? What do you win with Blue Cat? There's there is nobody. You get from some Blue money. Cat. You get some money. You get a few meetings, which you and I probably but, know. But are, the meetings aren't, aren't are important. they're not real. They're not. Yeah, you know? it's like I I firmly believe. Like I would love to see the numbers on the people that have, have, you know, won the Blue Cats or won the Screenwriting You or won the Whatever Fest mm-hmm. and, and how many of them have mm-hmm. ever gone on to have careers. Whereas I think Nickel and Austin, you know the industry pays attention to those. Mm-hmm. They are there. The agencies and the studios are sending people right. to pay attention to those. Right. And for me, if you can get some money out of it, then, hey, that's great, you know. Okay, but I wouldn't enter those expecting it's going to you know, jumpstart your career. Mm-hmm. And those might be the ones that, when you're talking about the earlier one about voice and how everyone's um, writing the same way because we're all reading the same books and stuff, those kind of content, like the Nichols and Austin, might be a way for you to maybe use that script, something creative and different that take a chance and send it and see what happens. Mm-hmm. You know, that might be a good way to see, like, hmm, I want to do this creative things, you know, experiment with my voice. That might be a, a creative way to do it well, in a safe space. I mean, when I first came up in the early... 2000s I you know like Sundance just happened to be my first lucky thing 
And then I was on the list of, you know, 20 people, you know, who made it to the top 20, which was big at the time. Um, and then being young and naive, <clears throat> I submitted to all those, you know, dozens of did. competitions. We all did. But what I found was, and Paul's right on the money, what I found was, ah, these five are the only ones that really matter. Mm-hmm. But what I also found was sometimes, say, say... I sent something to final draft, just spitballing, right? Say I was a semifinalist there. At Austin, I was a quarterfinalist, right? No, I'm just generalizing mm-hmm. what would happen. So what I would do is go, okay, ah, so that means I'm about right there. So this still needs some more work, right? So I did it as a test for myself. Right. One, how much adulation do you need? Because we all need some. So I say if you leave out of town <clears throat> in a place where you don't have people like us to give you, you know, praise or to to uh, give you notes or encouragement or anything, sometimes that's what those are for. For me, is you send them in to see where you are right. on the level of everybody else, the big ones. Mm-hmm. Now, you you named Austin. Um, the Nichols. Nichols. I would say um, Sundance, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, right. Um, um, Trebekah, um, Chesterfield is another one people talk about, but it's not talked about as much. It was probably years mm-hmm. ago before. Um, Final Draft, I mean, I don't, I don't know how big Final Draft really, really is. I think Final Draft's complete bullshit, but you that's I mean? just me. I, don't, I, don't I, mean, I, I mean, <clears throat> if you listen to the Final Draft podcast of Script Notes, mm-hmm. Maze oh, in yeah, August, in. Yeah, that's right. everything you need to know about <clears throat> Final Draft. Uh, I'll tell you who's, who's kindness is interesting. is your girl... Um, Jenny Frankfurt with mm-hmm. Finish Line because she's a former manager. Right. It's one of the ones we support. Yeah, mm-hmm. and she has a lot of people in town. Mm-hmm. And when that guy came into town in January, mm-hmm. I mean, she had like 10 meetings for, set up for right. him. And it was 10. And because she's... And they were big meetings. Big meetings because she's yeah. expending her own personal capital that she developed over a probably 20-year career. Mm-hmm. That's like a different thing. So these other places don't have the access to mm-hmm. the people to say, hey... I'm vouching for this work, so uh, this writer, so her, take the meeting, you know? And her competition is new. It's only like two years old. Two, three years, three years yeah, old. Yeah, but, so a lot of people don't know about it, so they don't know that she's on that level where she can really help you yet. So that's what we're doing is trying to, mm-hmm. you know, put the word out there because I remember this. Here's, here's the thing. Here's the interesting thing for you, Paul. So years ago, um, um, I was just about to sign with Paradigm, right? This is right after the strike, right? And I sat down with this huge agent and um we were talking and for some reason he says wait a minute so you won like a bunch of you know competition stuff i was like yeah and he's like well i mean he looks at my resume he's like well except for sundance and austin i mean nobody gives a shit like that and i went okay and he says he said so you know i mean i I give a fuck about that i mean he's like cold right and i was like hmm and i went fuck it y'all know me i don't I, i just am who I am. And I said, well, you know, that might be really nothing to you. I says, but I needed it at the time. I needed the adulation, whatever it is, that I'm at least here. Mm-hmm. You know, that this is what I'm writing. I said, I made 5000 on that one. I made three on that one. I made two on that one. I said, I made about $15,000. <laughs> you know what I mean? On about $150 worth of submissions. Fees, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And he was like... And the self-confidence you mm-hmm. got. And that's what I said. I said, it gave me the thing that I needed. Now, every other writer needs what they need, you know, but me being somebody I've been here since 1996, you know, when when success is all around you, Mm -hmm. those were my moments. Mm -hmm. Those are my moments of 
I did this thing here. At least I know I got that. At least I know I got that. And then later it took me to realize that these weren't that important. Those were. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? He was correct. Right. It's just his his approach wasn't right. right. And Nichols you know I mean? and Nichols is one of my favorite because the one thing with Nichols is they let you know your percentage, where oh, you yeah. stand, oh, yeah. and you're like, yeah, and yeah. If you were here in L.A., you could actually go there and read the scripts of the people who have won. So you can go and look to see, okay, if I didn't make it or it in place, let me go read the scripts of the people who did win. And you can just sit there and literally read the script. So that was always a great experience for me, you know, going in. And I was... And you and I, like, eventually I became a reader for Sunday. Yeah. And the thing about Nichols is, is that... Except for that one year, I, th- I had to disqualify myself because I applied for Sunday. I said, "Well, I can't read and be in it too, so I have to remove myself." Um, you know, the thing that Paul was saying about what's the career post the the win, and the Nichols one. You know, so I know the Doug Atchison one with his script mm-hmm. of Hi, Doug. That's that was a movie that Amazing. he made. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that Damon, you know, like uh, um, Damon Lindelof was mm-hmm. in that. I'm pretty sure he won. I know that that, that Ava DuVernay was in it and won. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there's a there's a long list of people who who've won that because that's associated right. with the Academy Awards. Right. Um, who then have a different career, you know? That's and they why it's the, called a fellowship. Yeah, mm-hmm. and they have, the, they have their whole thing where it's like they have that big dinner where everyone comes. Oh, yeah, and you come, and at, yeah. At, at the dinner, right. the, previous, the previous winners come there to meet the right. new winners, and it just creates this, this community. You know, community about, and those people are going to help you, you know? Like, like those people, the, the, you win that, and those other writers will help you more than, it, than anybody else because they're the ones who know your well, struggle. Here's the, here's the other benefit to a couple of them, Paul, that you may not know. There are a couple of competitions that can get you to be a caucus member in the Writers Guild. A lot of people don't know that. So, for example, say, say you were you have to be you have to place I, that I do know. So you have to place in like one of the said competitions. Not even it doesn't even have to be Austin. There there's some other like the ten other like smaller mid level competitions that you could place in that can qualify you to become a caucus member. The caucus member is, if I remember right, here's how they work. So say you are second place at, I don't know, Action on Film or whatever the fuck, right? So you win that. <clears throat> you, you, you call the guild, the, the caucus, um, whatever, the, the, the hotline number, I'm not sure what it is. You, you call them, you say, hey, I just you know, placed a one, whatever, blah, blah, blah. So $100, like, like the dues that you pay, Hundred bucks, you send it in. I don't know how long it takes. You get your big packet like we do from the guild. It has everything in there, except for all your insurance shit we get. Right. Only thing you can't do is vote. You get your Writers Guild card. You are now a caucus member. You can go to all the meetings. You can go to the movies. You can the go theaters. to the movies. You can do all of that shit. A lot of people. So don't I know have that. sent. When I've heard that my friends have won or placed in certain come like, become a caucus member. It's out there. People don't know it exists. And they do it on purpose because that's their gift to you. They don't well, they're getting it, 100 bucks a person, They don't too. want it to be, but they don't want it to be as known. So, uh, by the way, we're talking about trying to bring back the Cosby Fellowship. 
So one of the things we're trying, but in a dip, we're going to call it something else, of course. We're going to call it the Samuel, we're going to call it the Denzel Washington, Samuel L. Jackson, Cicely Tyson Fellowship. The Malcolm Jamal Warner (laughs) Fellowship. And and one of the things we want to do is because like if you, if you get into some of the other big programs, it makes you qualify. So like if you finish a master's at UCLA, it qualifies you. So like. This should do the same thing. Right. So we're going to push that if we're able to put this thing back on again. So there's some benefits to some of those that people just don't know about. So that's my... I just still, for me, that's a prize that's not helping your career. And I know the thing like, oh, you go to the meetings and you meet people and you network and stuff. It's still, I don't care who you know, unless there's some extracurricular relationship going on. If you can't write, you, you don't get to write. And, and look, and, and that's what it comes down to, that proof in the pudding. Yeah. Once you get in there, it's but like... But now, Ugh. what I will say to all this is, is if, to me, this is really about something that, that has nothing to do with screenwriting, but is actually a really important part of it, and that's just self-awareness. There you go. Mm-hmm. And if you can enter these competitions knowing what to to expect and knowing what not to expect and doing it for well you know what I'm going to take a shot at that money right. or I'm going to take a shot cuz this would be cool to say that I won or something right knock yourself out if you're entering those thinking this is going to make me the next billy ray right. you know that's what I'm saying then you're just fooling yourself right mm-hmm. right totally right. exactly well, so, Celia, I hope that to, that you answers your question uh, <laughs> <laughs> Nichols <clears throat> oh. Sundance Tribeca uh, Austin, those are the main ones I think that uh, when you do that, doing the contest, I would say enter those because they they pretty much it'll 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 give you a litmus test of where you are in terms of your writing. It gives you an idea of kind of where you stand, kind of like okay, what I need to work on. So yeah. they were beneficial. And, and as I said, you, you feature writers, you can just fucking up, upload your script on the blacklist, right? And I'm, I don't, none of us work for Frank and Litter. We all know him, but we don't work for him. Yeah. Um, and um, I have seen with my own eyes that in a month, people are signed. But they got to get like an eight or nine. Mm-hmm. You got to. You know what I mean? You got to, yeah. You, oh, you have to get two coverages and, you know, it's, right. a, whole, it's a whole right. thing. And the good thing about it, they the the, the blacks they really are trying because they want good movies and mm-hmm. good film, and they really their platform really is about support. It's not about oh they're just trying to get money and do all that. No, well no because <laughs> he he announced that thing last fall right. where he's partnered up with some production company that right. they're actually going to be doing movies a bit that right. score high on that. So. so this one is for you two. Okay, and this is from I Ride Good. <laughs> Well, there you go. <laughs> At Danielle Nikki, and, it's, and his, this is cute. It's E Y E. Interesting. R I G H T. Good. I write good. So clever, Danielle. Thank so you. this is I write good at Danielle Nikki. Here's the question. <laughs> this is more of a TV room question. <laughs> well, this is a good one. This is juicy. Go ahead. And you can use uh, anonymous and aliases names if you need to. <laughs> and it goes <clears throat> Have any of you had or heard of a writer having issues in their personal life? Due to private stories being shared in the room and make it an, into an episode. Paul, I have. I'll, I'll let Paul answer this. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I don't think you cannot. It, it, you I know? mean, here's yeah. the thing Hilliard knows this being yeah. It's the writer's room. It's a private story, though. It, they it, were no. not in the writer's room. So no. you better not tell the that story. The writer's room is this crazy <laughs> sacred yes. place that, that it's, it's like a therapist's office, yeah. and, and, and there's a. What stays, you know, what's said in the room stays in the room unless it really works for our show. (laughs) 
and then we got to put it in the and show. And we're using exactly it. Exactly what I was about to say. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. And, but that's it. That's it. I mean, you can, if you, if you don't want the chance of something very personal in your life getting into the show, don't share it in a room full of writers that are dying to break story. Right. Especially like, if it's a show like Criminal Minds and you really did put somebody somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> it's all about the old Picasso line. If I see something to steal, I steal. Right. It's that simple. <laughs> so don't, um, yeah. I was just going to say this. I think, I don't think it's every room, but it's probably most rooms for sure. Um, because as Paul knows, and we all know in general, the room is about the culture of whatever the culture is of the room. It starts with the showrunner and works its way down, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So if the culture of the, like, I ended up setting a precedent in our room on the third day. I think I've mentioned the story before where I told everybody a story because we were just going to a room talking about shit. And some reason I was reminding them about, you know, my days as a, as a growing up in the gang and blah, blah, blah. But I was telling the story about being on the corner of one of my homeboys and he got shot and blood went all over me. And I was bawling telling the story. And I looked around, and the entire room was just like, like in tears. And Rick jumped up on his feet, and he was like, that's how we need to tell stories. Everybody, I need to hear a real fucking story. And me, so I would have been there like, who we got up in this room? <laughs> <laughs> well, he got people getting shot next to him. Like, <laughs> and, uh, but I hadn't shared that story, story with, right. with, with many people. Right. So just telling it, it just like all came back to me. I saw oh. mm. But that's part you know, two that's of part being of a great storyteller. Is yeah. you have to open those veins if you really want to write great I I had some quote from somebody on my Instagram recently like if it doesn't feel at some point like peeling off your own skin Mm -hmm. you're not doing it right Mm -hmm. and if if you're worried about something like that you're you're in the wrong business you need to go like try to make a career as a script coordinator or something and I'm glad you say that because people always ask me like what I get, because every single season, like this season, I probably got 15 calls from young staff writers going on their first shows. Going, right. What do I do? Right. And I'm like, number one, you got to be transparent. Right. As much as you do, a lot of people are in the room going, well, I don't want people to know mm-hmm. this part of, you know, my mom's kind of crazy. I don't want them to know she's an alcoholic. I'm like, those are the stories, bitch. Those mm-hmm. are the ones they want. There I don't you care. That's why we're writers. We're all care. fucked up. And those are usually the best exactly. episodes that come on TV. Yes. And when you ask people about it, it's because it was something that really happened and they put it into the story. Yes. So, I, it, it, again, it's, it's the thing that Paul said. I can't remember who said this. I want to say it's like <clears> Faulkner <throat> or someone like that. But he said, no tears in the writer, no tears in the reader. Mm. And it's Ooh, like, and it's like, go. damn, dude! Like, that says it all. That's, yeah, that's, that's a T-shirt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that says it all. I'm, I'm like, gonna t- if you don't know who said it, I'm gonna take credit for it. Damn, that's bomb. <laughs> but, yeah, but it's like, yeah, that's that, that, no, look, that was look, the quiet look, storm. Look, to, <laughs> that was the quiet storm coming the through. The quiet storm just blew <laughs> through. I was just gonna say, I think it happens. You hear about this a lot in like comedies. Like you hear about like Chuck Laurie and all them. Like somebody in the writers' room said or did something, or um, and it made it to the show because especially when they had Charlie Sheen on, he would come back and you know fucking drunk the next day, so it would go right into the script. Like so, yeah, it mm-hmm. happens all the time. But if you're a smart showrunner like Laurie was, you would just use it, you know. But your job as the writer in the room, if 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 Paul is your run, your showrunner, you want to give him the truth. You want to give them real stuff. But do you tell them like yes. I'm going to use this? But the question, the thing is, is dude, private private store like you uh, you shouldn't have fucking said it. It's, it's no longer it's private. If you share it in the writer's room, it's no longer private. Do you steal it and take it for another show, another thing later? It's a code of silence room. Okay. When they when they say that, it's code of silence in the sense that I'm about to tell you something. 
right? But in the room, you're not saying it so that we don't use it. Okay. You're saying it so that you let people know this is between us. It might make it to the script. Right. But it doesn't mean that you go back, girl, there was a dude in our room. Who said X, Y, and Z? That's Dakota Thomas. Right, right. Exactly. That is exactly. It's interesting because we were, you know, I met talking with Ben Watkins the other day, right? He asked me this fat ass fucking question and I had to pause and he was like, oh, I got one question for you. Who's your nemesis? Ooh, ooh, and I was like, wow, that's a fucking hard. And I was like, oh, you and I got yeah. the <laughs> So I said, okay, wait, 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 wait. I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you. I know. I, who I'm not going to lie. I'm going to tell you right now. And he was like, wait, let's have it. Let's have it. Let's have it. And I was like, let me just see who it is. And he was you like, told him. Wow. Yeah, I told okay, him. I was, like, okay, and, yeah. I, I was like, look, I, I was like, I'll tell nobody this before, right. but I'm going to tell you. And, um, I, and you know, and afterwards he was like, you know what? He, he, he was like, hit me up, hit me up, because we got to talk, hit me right. up, because because I was like, I'm being real with you. Been, that's the I'm key. I'm being real with wow. you. That's key. Like, but Hillier, like, Hillier, Hillier, you made the point. That's the thing is that like the if it's said in the writers' room, it stays in the writers' room. It, it isn't the, the whole cone of silence thing isn't like oh it's not going to go on the show it's that you don't go to some cocktail party right. or somewhere else yes. going guess what they just said in the writer's room today <laughs> right. that no right. mm, it no. makes it to the room and, and, and for example there was something that happened on my episode where I remember Linnell hit me going I know that was you wasn't mm. it and I was like and I was like that's only because she knows me right. that she would pick up on that mm-hmm. one little tiny Hi, little Linnell. thing you know what I mean but mm, for Unle- the most part, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I didn't start to interrupt. But like on leverage, that room was so positive, and we were all so close. And and like there, there's even a couple of writers I don't I don't talk to anymore from that show that I didn't really like. But in that writers' room, you're just a family. Mm-hmm. And I I'm trying to think if there was an episode where there wasn't at least a scene that was pulled from somebody's personal mm-hmm. life it's in impossible. that room. Okay, because we were just talking it's all the, the whole time. Reason you're in the room. Hold on, let me say this. Do not go in a room if you don't plan to tell true stories about your life. Yeah. That's the fact. Because that's, that's what writers they, do. You're not in the room just to go, oh, what if Johnny, you know, does this? No, bitch. You're in there to go, dude, let me tell you about some shit when I was a kid. Yeah. Mm-hmm. My mom was fucked up, dude. Remember, Put in that about, script. You know what I mean? Whatever the fuck. Mm-hmm. That's what they yeah. want. And that's Here's, why I don't want to ever have a put. If I put a room together, I don't want a bunch of the same type of people right. like I want the most yeah. diverse room and it's not to be politically correct or right. anything it's because I want the most stories right. you know and the yeah. most like perspectives and points of view that right. I can get because it's only going to make the show better yes right. and I'll never forget Mick Bettencourt told me after I told that story he called me into the office I thought I was in trouble he called me into the office and he was like Hill dude that was amazing he says you may not know it now or you may already know it, but that is what's going to make you stand out, being able to tell stories like that. Mm-hmm. He says, I don't care what anybody else in this room does. Do never, never lose that shit. And then he came in the room later on the night and told us a story about his mom being a prostitute and blah, blah, blah. And I say that because he's, he's put it out there already, so I'm not giving wow. him anything. Wow. And uh, it was part of his comedy. Right. But he tells them through stories. Right. And we all were, uh. And we were, I was like, see. Wow. That's what I have to put. I open the door right. that we all could do that. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It, it, and you know, being the staff writer on the show, it doesn't matter who you are. Right. It's about setting the precedent of the show and getting that emotion engagement on gonna, the page. And I was going to say this one little thing, Paul. Just since we're talking about this, because it kind of makes sense. Your, your your my favorite episode you did with somebody tweeted about on on the Scott Bakula thing with the song at the end. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. talk about that on on NCIS New Orleans. Yeah, so I I wrote this episode. I didn't title it, but it got titled Empathy, 
Um, and it was basically, it started out in the room as this idea of um, an assassin that has Alzheimer's. Like, how, what would that be like? It was off of this great foreign film, Memories of a Killer. I'm sure The Quiet Storm has seen it. And, but what it was really about <laughs> and what I, what I got to in the room, which then started the ball rolling on the episode, was because my father, who had passed away years before, the last several years of his life, suffered greatly from Alzheimer's. And it was one of the most horrible things I ever went through. And so I was, I was, you know, I say I wrote the episode to honor my father. I was, I was purging all that shit Mm -hmm. and those feelings in this episode of this giant procedural show. Mm -hmm. But I, I got there and then unbeknownst to me, and this is like that serendipity magic that happens when you do this. Bacula calls me up after he sees the first draft. He calls him Bacula, by the way. (laughs) And, (laughs) and he tells me like his mom had Alzheimer's. Mm. And so immediately he's like, he's locked in. And so it was great when I went down there to shoot the episode and he and I worked really closely together. We came up with this idea. My, I had this thing with my father. Mm. (laughs) It's okay, bro. (laughs) I love it. So this is the room. This is the room. Family room. (laughs) I'm talking about, Um, you know, when he was, pretty much gone we had this thing where we could watch college football together mm. and he, he'd come back mm. and uh fuck alright so, um, take your time so I share that with, with Bacula and we're talking and we come up with the idea that you know to do that same thing with his character and his mom who had never been part of the show and it was like oh we've never talked about his mom she's Mm -hmm. you know in the pilot she was like off in Spain or somewhere Mm -hmm. so we concocted this whole thing based on trying to do this episode you know that that his mom that he calls his mom every week you've just never seen it on the show before Mm -hmm. and she doesn't remember him but he starts playing this song because she, you know, was a, a musician in New Orleans and everything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they start playing that song and they start singing together. And that's the yeah. connection they have. Right. So beautiful. Oh, and, mm-hmm. and Bacula, to all his credit, he wrote this song, like himself. <clears throat> and it is, I sat there and when we went to shoot it, I'm sitting there on this apple box and, you know, the scene starts and it's and it's him talking to nobody obviously you know he's right. on the phone and you know he's like it's me mama it's me and she's like who and so he sits at the piano and he starts to play the song and starts to mm-hmm. sing and she starts singing along with him uh. mm. and we did the first take and i'm gone because I'm, i mean you just saw how it is mm-hmm. with me and my father and then i look around and the whole crew is just in tears man mm-hmm. and it's like that's one of my proudest moments ever as a writer because Fucking NCIS New Orleans, you know. <laughs> this is—it's not like this was an episode of The Leftovers or you know something like like this is the most hardcore procedural fastball down the middle show you can get, and yet I was able to get that nugget in there, right. and to me that's what the whole episode was right. about, right. you know. And it just—it uh, was fantastic. But that's to what you're saying, Hill. That came out of my truth, right. and that episode would have never existed right. had I not shared that in the room and mm-hmm. said I want to I want to write to this right it took the whole show in my opinion to a whole nother level because yeah. I know that's one of one of the issues that 
shows like that have is because it's procedural, it, it's just that. Right. Even though there's moments within it where they yeah. try to go home with them and, you know, try to give some of the characters mo- it still almost never quite gets the the praise that it should. Right. But this moment took it out of that for a moment. Mm-hmm. It became like fucking like a whole nother show. Right. For like the whole, this but whole but little but sequence. But see, right. it's, it's Beautiful. See, I think this is an interesting point about that is that Thanks for all saying Thank that, Paul. You. That was yeah. good. Um, yeah, Paul, I, that's a really powerful story. But it, but I think that if you look at it like this, Mr. Bakula, because uh, I can't call him, you know, Bakula. We're not on the Scott, Scotty level. But, I, I call him Scott level. I call him Bak- <laughs> you know I mean? Mr. Bakula. But Mr. Bakula, he knows this too, and he he's and that's how you guys bond as the as the as the co-collaborators. I think a lot of times. When you're writing these backstories or secondary stories for those characters in the procedurals, those actors don't have any kind of like. Uh, there's no emotional connection to that, to that, to that, like to whatever that family life is, right. and so they're going through that because well, they're actors and and they can sell it, mm-hmm. but it transcends when it's a, a personal experience that the writer has right. and the actor has because it's like okay let's develop something that mm-hmm. I'm not, that, that this is the thing too though when you write a lot you can fucking tell when it's like oh they didn't write that they didn't make that up you can tell when it's come from that someone's came from real, somewhere for real like a real place right you know yeah, right. and what's what's great about him in that instance too is that's a show to, to all credit to him, you know, all writers, we have problems with actors and the bigger the star they are, the more problems there can be and stuff. That's a guy who fights every week to bring character into the script, you know. Yeah. Initially, after the first cut, CBS thought we didn't need that scene at the end. What? what? Yeah, they didn't because it wasn't about the plot and it wasn't about that. And, but and, it enhances the And he had to put his big star foot right. down and go, no, that's going to be in right. the show. Right. But it, it's like, and he, he fights for that every week. So when I, you know, when he saw that, that draft and, and I, had, I had a version of that, I didn't have the song. I had another version that was more like what I went through with my father. Mm-hmm. But he locked into that and was like, that's what the episode's about. Mm-hmm. It's not about the plot and the chasing of the bad guy mm-hmm. and this and that. It's getting, it's setting up, everything is set up mm-hmm. for that last scene. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it was, you know, it was great. And it gives texture to that character that'll carry over into the other episode. Exactly. Oh, it gives you a little something right? like, oh right. man, this character, you I know, know something so, more. I mean, yeah, that was four seasons in right. and you learned something new right. about the star of the show. that kind of stuff. That makes sense. And it, he did uh, it, I can't, a cappella, pretty much, just him on the, on the fucking uh, yeah. piano. And you could tell it wasn't dubbed, wasn't, no, it was it like. No, it was not. I didn't even know could play the piano. Okay. I don't know how he kept it together because you could yeah. feel the emotion. Oh, yeah, I mean, yeah. Afterward, we did, they did that first take and everybody cut and the director was like this and Scott was there and kind of wiped his eyes and he was like, that, that was pretty good. And we're all like, yeah. yeah, but, yeah. but for <laughs> safety, you have to do another yeah. one. So they did, they did, right. they did we did one more. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, he looked up and he, and he goes, do you want to do, do you want to do it again? And the director said, how do you feel? And he goes, I think we got it. And the director goes, I do too. And he got up and just walked over and he and I just embraced and didn't say a word, you know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but we said everything. Right. That's beautiful. And that's, that's, hey, that's when that, 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 that writing comes through those true stories and that voice and it, it pops in. And like you said, for Scott to put his big star foot down and say, no, this is something that's important to this character. And that yeah. little thing is going to carry on for that. And people are going to remember that episode. Yeah. You know? Beautiful. One of those, those yeah. what do you call those episodes? Those, 
I don't know the word for it, those pivotal episodes that really give you a little bit more insight. Very special episodes. Very special episodes. Like On a very special episode. <laughs> so I would just say this, to answer that question, I'd say yes. You yeah. do get personal stories shown up on the screen. But usually when you do, they work like that. Right. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Those are those episodes that get the Emmys. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But you know what's interesting? I think this, I think this question is maybe asking, what's the blowback when the people in real life like realize that you use them <laughs> as fodder for the episode? I think when it's on the nose, you get it like that. But when you do it through a character like that, I don't uh Yeah. And if it's something like that's negative, you know, where somebody's going to be, hey, you made me look bad. Well, you shouldn't have done the shit in the first place. <laughs> and we I'm telling you my and, truth. You fucked me. And, so. and, and we didn't use your name, so it's not really you. <laughs> There's eight million stories in the world. That's right. Okay. We didn't say Larry. We said Barry. <laughs> <laughs> I shall take place no, in a whole no similarity city. at all. <laughs> so this month, hey, this is one of our people, Kimberly Allen. Yeah. So Kimberly, this is Badsworth Appleton. This hog ain't so bad. No. <laughs> Badsworth <laughs> Appleton um, at Kimberly M. Allen too. What is your approach to researching various things, especially for period pieces? Oh well, hey, you two. Ding, now ding, you ding, go ding. first. It's funny we. We have another episode coming up that we just did. We did. Oh, we did, the, that we did talk. Yeah. We talked a lot about yeah, this. We talked a lot about this, but we can still we can still cover it on this. We'll tease it here. Um, we'll tease it. Hey, research, hold, it, hold it down. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> research is one of my favorite things to do. Period. And as you guys know, I mean, I run a lot of historic things, and my. My manager, John, was like, when are you going to do something new? And I'm like, I'm an old soul. I'm never probably going to just stick with the new shit. I like historic, and I just love it. And I remember when I think back now, when I went to school, because the bitch wasn't going to class. Um, <laughs> shut up, bitch. <laughs> um, I go to history, and I went to English. It's funny that it all tied back around. Mm-hmm. And... And so today, like Pamela and I, she's on her way over here. We're working on this. We have our big pitch tomorrow. Nice. Stephanie Atlanta. Yeah. And so um, the more research we do, the more I just, I mean, love, love. And what I think is the more research you do, the more control you have. And the more comfortable you the get The more in comfortable that world. you are because now you're familiar. Now you're like, oh, so the buildings look like this. Oh, they dressed like that. They didn't have cars. They had a horse and buggy. This is the they music they were listening to. All they of this that. kind of car. I mean, you, you build the world. Maybe I like to world it. Maybe that's what yeah, it is. I mean, it is yeah, but you're really into the world building. Two, two things of that. I mean, there's a friend of mine who's writing a movie set in the 20s, mm-hmm. and he mentioned a car. Mm-hmm. I said, no, 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 dude, because your character is this. And right. I like went through and found 10 cars that were that were these high income luxury cars mm-hmm. that were like, you know, that weren't like a Ford or something. I said, this car, this car, this car, this car. Right. It's like you, it goes back to the write what you know mm-hmm. if you do and if you do enough research then you know that topic mm-hmm. so so you're writing about that i mean i you know like doing the research i like history I, I i love history because there's so much interesting shit to pull from right. and you aren't um and there's a there's a different type of different type of world building that you're doing because you're trying to bring someone into a, to, to a time and place that has already existed <clears throat> that people probably aren't that familiar with. And so, so how do you go about approaching mm-hmm. research? 
Uh, okay, okay. I mean, so for like, how do you file? What's been? I mean, so okay, so I'm working on a project where I there's that there's that program called Evernote. Okay. You know, so it's a it's a web app, and what you can do is you use it, and it and it grabs full pages of the internet, and like, and you can either and you can put it on your desktop in a filing system. You know, and it looks just like that page, or to simplify it, so 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 it looks like it's just like a text in a book. And I'm just like constantly pulling mm-hmm. stuff like that, and then you can you tag it, mm-hmm. so blah blah blah. And you put in a special notebook, so I'm Perfect. I'm gonna say this is Ivy this is an Ivy Poacher project, right. and everything I'm reading that might come up that goes in there. Boom 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 boom. And then I find something else that fits in that in that world. I'm doing that, and then I'm collecting photographs of that, and then I'm looking for for videos. So I'm hearing you're being organized about it. Yeah, I, you have right. to because it's the biggest. The, the problem that could happen is you will collect all this fucking data right. and then don't know what to do about it. Like, for instance, like like the, when I was in the Orson Welles thing, I must have put together like 50 like flashcards. Mm-hmm. And I put them together in a way where I was like, what's he doing this month, mm-hmm. this year? And I would read all these different books and go, okay, you know what? In January 1950, this is what everyone's saying. This is what he was like, doing. Almost like bullet boom, points. Boom, yeah, mm-hmm. bullet points. You know, and so therefore, <clears throat> therefore, when I'm writing the script, I'm kind of like, okay, so what was he doing here at this time? Oh, this month. I'm, I'm not going uh, to cover these months because this was interesting stuff, but it's not helping me with my story. Right. Because yeah. the biggest thing is you get all this information and you're like, this is cool, this is cool, this is cool, this is cool. How does it help your story that you're right. telling? Some stuff has got to get ejected. And then you say to myself, oh, I love the way this moment is. How can I... Like twist it into this scene at this time and say this dialogue that I found somewhere. You know, I mean that's the thing too. Is like is that you find dialogue. You know, like I remember exactly that's the other. You find like you find people's dialects or you find you know people's vernacular or you find just things people say. I mean, I I was like one time I wanted to do this story about. you know, it's so politically incorrect. I, so I say, I fucking, I would never do this now. Uh, I would love to, but you can never get it done. About the conquistadors, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and it's because it's so, so pernicious. But there was a diary of a priest that that went with Pizarro, and and he's and he's chronicling their events. So so in, those in guys, real time, and that's yeah. <laughs> I'm, 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 you know, and it's like fuck. This Pizarro, is like, I hate him. This is so fucking dope. Like this is like funky ass like, shoes he got on. Like, like, yeah, yeah. Like, well, but, but this is firsthand research of a guy who's like who's the wonder in his like in his diary about what they're seeing. Right. This is the first time he's got you know, and these guys meet the Incas. All that kind of stuff like that, but the first time they get there and get off the boats, and it's like, and his sense of like, oh my god, this is so, this is so different than Spain, mm-hmm. and, and or, or anything in Europe at all. It's there on the page, and you just get so excited about like, oh wow, like like how do I make what, this happen? What do you think, Paul? So my approach is kind of like a concentric circle. There's so there's three things I want to say about research, mm-hmm. and the first thing is how how I approach it is this concentric circle where. Mine starts out, like, I'll take my example. It starts out about this particular real-life character um, right after turn of the century. So I started with, you know, learn, somebody told me about this person who I'd never heard of. Mm-hmm. And the only thing they sent me to jumpstart the research was his obituary. And then from that, I hit the Google machine mm-hmm. and found very little about him. He was an African-American cop in, in St. Louis after turn of the century, and I, I found very little. Like, I found pages, and it was just the same story over wait, and over. Wait, are you saying that there's not a lot of history on black people? Well, so this is what... Yeah. This is what you have to create your own. Well, this is what, no, this is what makes this, the research of this a great story. Right. So I was getting frustrated after a couple of days, like... Because the way 
this person had told me about this guy. It was like literally the Jackie Robinson of police detectives. Right, right. So one day after I'd been doing all different Google variations on, on his name and that time in St. Louis, Derby, I sat down. I, rem- I still remember it like it was yesterday. I got up in the morning. I made my coffee. I sat down. I flipped it on, the computer on, and I typed into Google, Black Police in America. Hmm. A book literally really? called Black Police in America I pops up. Book. Do you? Oh, yes. <laughs> so I'm like, holy shit, I need this book. And then who wrote this? Dr. Marvin Delaney and Professor Emeritus at UT Arlington. Hmm. So I go to UT Arlington's website and I look it up, faculty. I find him. I find his email address. I email him. Really? And even though he wrote the book like 30 years ago, you he'd been waiting for this call <laughs> for 30 years because he emails me back immediately and he's like, yes, I will help you. <laughs> yeah. So there's your research. And so I went down to, I flew down to Fort Worth okay. and I went in, I met him and you know, I'd said, I'm a screener. I'm trying to do the story on Ira Cooper. He's like, I know Ira Cooper. He's got a whole chapter in the book about Ira Cooper. And he goes, listen, what's mine is yours. I've, I spent 15 years researching Jeez. that book. 15 years. He walks me through his office to this closet, what used to be a closet. He opens the door, and there's 15 years of hard copy research, floor-to-ceiling files. Wow. And I sat in there on the floor for three days. Wow. And read and photographed and everything. And so I took, that was what jump-started, is I started with Ira, and then I went out to black police. And Mm -hmm. then... And so much of what I found, even though it wasn't specific to his story, and mm-hmm. this is where you've got to take that exactly. license, you gotta have license, is right. I found something that happened in Detroit in the mm-hmm. 40s, but I'm like, I'm going to use that because yes. that is perfect for my yes. story. Right. Yes. And, and, so then, and so then the second thing I want to say about research is that's, there's, a, there's this person I know, and they, it's, I don't know if you guys have read my favorite all-time book right now on writing is Steve Pressfield's The War of Art. Mm. And it talks about resistance, yeah. Yeah. you know, in yeah. all forms. And, and research is a form of resistance, mm. of, of not writing. And I, I, there's a person who I won't mention, but I, I've known them quite a while. And they have this <clears throat> amazing story for a feature that is this epic tale hmm. of 1880s Alaska hmm. and, and the old West, but up and and it's like, See, I love that. Yeah. It's <laughs> already this person has been researching for two years and they start writing and they hit a scene and they're like, Oh, I got to go research that. And they are choking themselves. Like yeah. I, I finally said the other day and an use, use your placeholders. I just right. said, I go, you haven't written anything in two years. I don't care how much research you're doing. It's time to stop. And people will use that as an excuse not to write. Okay. Okay. Don't be trying to drag no, bitches by their follicles no, here, it's, sir. It's because <laughs> it has to do with... Because you can't about, get stuck. It's the thing you said about license, Paul. It's that people think that they need to tell... Like every event that actually right. too linear. That's when, the third thing I was going to say about research. In, in writing a feature, it's film. not a documentary. The feature film is not a documentary. The feature film is you're trying to tell a specific story about somebody's journey, and that means that you're going to jump around. Like I watched this movie last night called Colette mm-hmm. about the female writer and everything like that, <laughs> and it covered like you know it made me cover like 15 years of her life, right? And it was just jump. And it would say, 
here's the little and, and I would say it, it, in Paris now in you know in, in eighteen fifty in eighteen ninety five in the in nineteen hundred boom boom and it was no and it was kind of okay what happened in between all these times and didn't this happen and she did this in the theater because I was like because I was reading I was like wait wait wait, wait. I was like wait, mm-hmm. wait wait is this real because I knew I knew the woman was real but the way she was writing these books for her husband as a pseudonym is just I was like wait did this really happen this way I just read a quick thing I was like oh this did happen but then I'm saying to myself I'm but I'm glancing through the Wikipedia page real quick and I'm like oh but what about this and I was like but you know what that is a cool detail but it had nothing to do with her trying to liberate her the story's about how she takes the control of her own name and her own writing and that's the story and everything else that's not about that gets kind of pushed to the right. side you know there's other stories where she meets people and, and they give her these moments where she's got a, you know and they're not, and they're not at the at, and, and these meetings are not at the specified beats because you know, because the, the movie is is just ninety minutes, so how can it follow the this the beat structure that was telling you to pay structure? But it's like you know this is a story that 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 journey between her and her husband and the way he was abusing her and then her finally coming to her own. That's the story. Wait, you know, and and, and and that's all that matters. Wait, do Sorry. we come to your um? You got oh. the third component. Did you mention a third thing, Paul? That you were saying. Oh, well, that was the third thing, okay. is that people, I think a lot of times, newer writers, when they're doing a historical piece, is they get locked into the research like, well, that didn't happen, so I can't say that, mm-hmm. or, or I don't know if that character's mother was really there, mm-hmm. so I can't put her in the scene. Right, no, right. Put, her in the, put her in the scene, because mm-hmm. you need that drama, you mm-hmm. need that, you know, it's like, you've got to have, it's like the De Niro thing we talked about, you've got to, you know have all the research so then you can throw away what mm-hmm. you what you need to do right. you know one and a little just lastly the little a little trick i do that just is for me personally that helps me a lot when i'm doing something that's historic like this because our whole world <clears throat> is so contemporary and full of technology is when i was writing that i printed out and i it cost some money but it was worth it to me i printed out so many photographs and and so many like Newspapers from mm-hmm. that time, yes. and I plastered them all over right. my wall. Like when you walked into like my you're looking office, for a serial yeah. killer. Yeah. yeah, yeah. When you walked into my <laughs> office, I was suddenly it was 1916 St. Right. Louis because it was just everywhere, right. you know. And I have my playlist, which you know I do. Yes, and it was. I and always that's, uh, hey, you got to have your music. I don't know how people can write without the music. You know? I cannot do it. You I know? cannot do it. <laughs> especially for me, like historic historical pieces and stuff. I'll have the music at the time. Mm-hmm. Like you said, the newspaper. I go and read the articles. Like I read oh, what was happening. Best mm-hmm. and the way and, and you talk about dialogue, right? Yes. From reading how newspaper stories were written, then yes. you get how they spoke mm-hmm. and how they think, and then that transcends into you know writing that dialogue. And even if you don't use that stuff, it kind of gives you an idea of the world that your characters mm-hmm. are living in and what might be on their mind and what be pressing on them. Thank you. And you know, I make like a little Pinterest board, and like you said, the photos. If you can find anything on Google, a lot of times you can find your documentaries. Um, I actually try to look up stuff from the Works Project. Uh, was it Works Project Ministry? Yeah, WPA, yeah. yeah. If you can try to find a lot of that stuff, they have free online now that you can go and and actually hear people talking, telling their stories. Um, Yeah, yeah. But like I said, you just can't get stuck in the wormhole. Don't get stuck in the. I mean, and and honestly, even though it is so enticing, but you got to pull the trigger. you got to you got to stop aiming at the target at some point and pull the trigger. (laughs) But here's an interesting point that I I, that I love about what you do, and the thing that I did because it was so great for me is that. On the Wells thing is like I went and got books. I didn't rely on what was on the internet 
because mm. there's people who are you know like like most of the great Wells biographies were written when he was still alive. So this is like in the late the late seventies and early eighties, and it's like and that stuff. You know, and the stuff online, like you said too, is like it's all. Chris kind is of this, talking about his Orson Welles script. Like the stuff, it, it's yeah. all kind of the same stuff, mm-hmm. right? Because the people are all kind of just. That's a, there's a problem with certain things that aren't that didn't occur during the digital age, is that people is that there's more material that is offline that is online about subjects that are prior to the digital age. Right. You know, yeah. I mean, c- c- you know, I mean, it's great. Like you know, it's great if like if you have a subscription to the New York Times, well, then they got fucking shit going back to the nineteen hundred. I mean, the eighteen hundreds. Uh, that's from their archives. Yeah. But every paper around that is a, a, that's in a major city has archives like that that probably aren't online. You know, and you yeah, can. That's find why I was so blessed to get mm-hmm. Dr. Delaney's yeah. research. That's he, like he, he, he has like, all that stuff. He had he had copies of of the Argus, which was. Which was the African American newspaper, newspaper of the time yes. that told the story? You know, when you know the East St. Louis riots, where the St. Louis Post Dispatch said, you know, two people were injured, and then you read the Argus, and like, no, 117 of us right. were murdered. Right. You know, you get a real, like, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. 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 That's, that's the thing too. It's not, it's not sanitized. He's not sanitized. Not sanitized. Right. Stuff online. A lot of today. And I put, and I actually put that into the story where there's a thing where the character he's got these newsies I used the, the newsies back then as like the CCTV of yeah, the day. Like they, yeah. they're the guys and ears yeah. of the city and so he's talking to them and it's like and I have the scene where you know the kid's like why do you buy one of each why you know it's the same stories and he's like yeah but it's different point of views and the kid's like right. point of what right and he right. just and he just schools this kid right. on you know like why there's two different versions of the exact exactly. same story. Mm. I love that. Kimberly, I hope that answered your question. Of course, you can always hit us up on Twitter and stuff like that um, if you have any more like well, that. Well, I got one more little part to that. Yes. Is how do you keep from being so linear in a historic yeah. project? We didn't answer that. That just I, I wrote that down. <sighs> to me, that that's a great question. And it kind of connects mm. to the thing of you know, you can get locked into. I've got to tell the truth. You right. know this thing, right? And I so think, it's not plot, and this happens, right? This right. Happens, because you know. if you're going to make a documentary, then it's linear. You know, right. and it, and and it's and you know, then here's happened. what happened, and yeah. here's the chronological mm-hmm. story, right? And you've got to have all that. It's like you got to know the rules so you can break the rules. Right. You've got to have all that research so then you, as the writer and the creative person, can find the emotional truth. And it's like, okay, X, Y, Z happened at that point, but I need to get in there and like, oh, what if her mother was there, you know, when this thing happened? And, right. and that's where you create and right. get it nonlinear because right. then it becomes about the emotion of the characters which is the best part of story, you know? It's like, again, I say, it's like you telling the story. You got to say to yourself, how do you want to tell your story the best way? And it's like, you got to take events and say, this is not, there are certain events that, that are the bigger events. There's certain events that just aren't important, but they might be cool. I mean, I'm, I'm reading this book now called The 33 Strategies of War, and he was talking about um, Lyndon Johnson and how and how Lyndon Johnson worked when he first came to Washington when he was like thirty or something like mm. that and it's a fascinating story about how, mm-hmm. the, the way he would be, he'd be there at five o'clock and he set the tone to, to motivate everybody and, and how he won his first election stuff like that and but the thing the guy said is here's the thing this whole thing about Lyndon Johnson is overshadowed by his presidency 
Hmm. and what happened during his president and how he became president. <clears throat> but that's not his whole life story. Right. So you got to say to yourself, what's the story that I want to tell? And, right. and you only choose the scenes that tell the story you want to tell. Yeah, I don't, exactly. I mean, you just can't just, I mean, you can't choose scenes just because that's a great scene that he did in his life. Yeah. Fuck it. If it's not working for your theme and what you're trying to prove yeah. is a, for your feature film, gotta go. It's mm-hmm. funny, I had that, mm-hmm. that issue and um, like a lot of people who read my Sylvester script were like, well, what happened to Patti LaBelle? She's only there at the end and I'm like yeah but she wasn't really important to the story that mm-hmm. I was trying to tell right you know what I mean so I made sure we saw her right but just at the funeral you know right. just so you know that her presence was in part of his life what I was thinking was like one of the cool things Pamela and I did with this new show is that we added so we did it in perspectives so we did it from different times of her life so she's when we first meet her she's in her 50s Right, but it has these flashbacks that go back to her in her prime in her thirties and go back to her as a slave when she's like, you know, twelve, right? So we go back and tight and forth in time. So you get you get these moments to go back or to come back forward and back, you know what I mean? So you can play with the the, the, the shift and technology would be different in any any of those times. So you learn about what the technology was. You learn about what they have and you cheat what we have now because before they didn't have that. Like they didn't have cereal. Now they do. Like, whatever the fact, just little things that you show to, 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 to keep the time moving and to, to trick the audience to going, oh, they really did the research because they know about, you know what I mean? Well, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. You, that's, that's the thing that's, that's also, I, I love that because you are, but I'm sure that you're choosing those scenes because they're telling you something about the character as well as the time. Mm-hmm. And, and again, it's like you, I mean, there's a scene in, in my movie where, you know, whole things takes place in the 50s and there's a small like one page flashback right around the time it's maybe 10 years earlier because 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 there's a there's a theme in mind about how you can overcome a fucked up reputation and I wanted to show people what it was like for Wells when he was very young and his reputation was starting to slide downhill and how people were targeting him and it's just one flashback scene it was a story that I read somewhere I was like oh that's fucking dope where the, where the, they tried to set him up with this this child prostitute in a sense to get him for for child uh, whatever having sex with a minor and and I was like but they're trying to do it because they're trying to kill him they're trying to kill his reputation Mm -hmm. and I was like and you know I don't I show the aftermath (laughs) of that throughout the thing as when he's behaving but here's just one scene that shows you the lengths of what they did to try to take to to ruin someone Mm -hmm. and I was like and it was like you know what that I need in there just so you know because he's talking about it a lot and it's just I'm just talking I'm just talking and you kind of feel it mm-hmm. but here's a scene that's like you know as opposed to me having to start the movie way back in the you know like you know 15 years earlier to show this moment I was like right. I can't do that that doesn't that doesn't help with my story right. you know you know another good Go example I just thought of a, on my thing is when I started doing this research um, at that time I'd never heard of Madam C.J. Walker. <laughs> and when I came across her in, in this guy's research in, in Texas, and I was like, wait, our country's first female millionaire was black? Actually, and nobody knows? <laughs> nobody is screaming this? She's the first this? popular millionaire. Like, mm-hmm. She was the first like, one to flaunt it. Mm-hmm. We had about three dozen other ones. Uh, and Abe's, keep, yes. Abe's keeping it quiet. Exactly. Because <laughs> when I tell you about the thing, Pamela, right, thing, you're right. like, what? Right. Uh, but trip this. But yeah. go, ahead, go ahead, finish No, no, no. Well, 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 my thing was, so I, I saw, wow, she was in St. Louis then. And even though I came across nothing that ever connected her and the police department or the mm-hmm. characters I was writing about, 
in my story they connect and he's gonna take that's exactly what we did in our Kathy Williams thing is we were like wait a minute she came across other millionaires at the time in the 1800s by the way wow. and I was like ah that means if they had a big royal party at the such and such hotel they probably would come from San Francisco and whatever mm-hmm. and they would all meet so they would intertwine with the new you know and Jack mm-hmm. and I was like ah that's which is how we got this other thing I'll tell mm-hmm. you about right anyway so love that hold on hold on that so so tying into that let me ask you this so you guys were talking about when is it time to stop the research yes right mm-hmm. now here's the thing here's the thing that occurred to me i have found the majority of people that I speak to who are a year, two, three years into a project that they're researching are more stuck on the fact that they don't know how, yeah. right? Because you and I, I could give you a premise and you could tell me a whole story to the premise. Couldn't any one of you guys could. Mm-hmm. Most people who are having that issue have probably not written many more scripts before, so that's why they're having, or they're trying to change into a whole nother genre that, that has a f- bunch of world building that they don't know how to handle. Mm-hmm. So they're just stuck on, oh, I just learned this new thing. I need to, uh, now I need to follow that trail. I need to I just learn this new, instead of going, oh, this actually is a really interesting story. I could tell a whole story too. Now let me figure out what are the things I want to tell around that. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Do you get yeah. my right. go ahead? Exactly. Yeah. Your story core. Yeah. Oh no, I have to go now. That's what I was saying to us, you know. Oh, you bitch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know. You got fifteen minutes. No, Let's go. We can You said one forty five. Quiet storm said one forty five. <laughs> but the tap into that when you're talking about when you're trying to to write people are like, I need to know every single detail stuff, that's when we talked about earlier about you gotta have some placeholders. Right. You gotta get the story started. Mm-hmm. And any extra but I don't know exactly but you will find out later. Have your placeholder, get the story down like right. know the core of your story, get it moving. You can always go back you can always well, go to well, get see, the details. Well, see, but here the thing is, and I only say that because I used to be that person. Like, I have to know every single detail. I can't really start writing know. until. Take a breath. Have some placeholders. <laughs> but this is the thing about for me writing movies is that, and it's never it's not this way for writing television. But when I'm writing a movie, I'm I'm I won't I don't start. It doesn't matter if I'm researching or not. And so I'm I'm like, what's the first page? I need to know what the first page is to get get me into the story that, that I know. Like uh, what's the opening scene you mean? Yeah, what's that opening scene? Like, like Scott Frank, like, you heard him just, talk about that? Mm-hmm. He can't start writing until it's, he has so I know scene. that. Yeah. I mean, and, 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 and my Wells thing is like, I knew I wanted to tell the story. I knew how to tell it. I knew, and in a long time I wanted to tell it and I didn't because I didn't know just like, some parts of the end. I was like, but then I was, I was doing the research and I was like, I'm going to start this in the, I'm, I'm going to start this in the, like in the radio Room. I'm gonna start this as a radio play. I'm gonna start it this way because in my head I was like, I want to do, I want to see something that's like that scene in Citizen Kane where because I'm trying to tell. I was like, and, I, and the minute I figured that out, I was like, okay, that's the story. That's my entry point. Right. Because that way I could come in at any point. Because uh, I'm now I'm like, oh, he's gonna he's telling a story about this. Mm-hmm. So now I can come in at any time I want in his life because he's he's bringing you in. Right. But, but but I needed to know that, mm-hmm. and I do that with I do that with, <clears throat> with like with everything I write. I'm like, what's that first scene? The first scene. The first scene is so important. Mm-hmm. It's 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 you know it, in terms of in terms of how you introduce your character. Like where are they? On the journey. I mean, there's a really great episode that Craig and John did about like like character entrances. Like 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 when do you like when do you start the story? And and you have to know that you got to know like where in the day, when in the week, what are they doing? Are they in a rut? Are they like all these kind of things are telling you so much because because the opening moment of a character has to teach you 
so much about what the the, the next two hours are going to be. Right. Totally agree. Nice. Awesome. Well, good episode. That was our last yeah that we got in. So a lot of good <clears throat> stuff, you guys. Mm-hmm. Now you made me think like, man, I got to do some research now. And it's like, I got to like <laughs> control myself getting stuck down there. I'm digging back into our black cowboys again. Oh, it's really? like, but, and that's how I got that, the book about the black cops. It's only oh. because I bought this book like years ago, like for um, black cowboys in Texas. <clears throat> and you know how when you're on Amazon, you get the book and it says, if you like this, you might like right. these. Mm-hmm. And I just started to make a connection. Like, wait a minute, that, wait, that's the same book that Paul, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it's been sitting on my shelf right. all this time. Like Small world. one of these days, I was like, get this book. And I'm like, where is this book been printed for? It's one of those ones where, you know, there's only a few copies left. I'm like, oh, let me grab this. Cause it looks like something yeah. I might use in the future. Yeah, like he printed, like the university printed yes, it for Yes, it was a university press, you know? yeah. yeah. Interesting. How small world. Yes, it is. Well, a big shout out to everybody who sent us yes, questions. Yes, thank you. Yes, thank you, everybody. Twitter. Screen right. Thank you, thank you. Appreciate it, y'all. Um, this just might be a long episode. I just might leave That's it That's okay. Well. That's all right. It's okay. <clears throat> Listen Except to mail. the quiet storm okay. has to blow out. <laughs> I know. Exactly. I have to go now. <laughs> <laughs> go now. I'm sorry. Well, give, us, give us your Twitter, Chris. Uh, unauthorized CBD at Twitter and Instagram. And while you're on... Q-U-I-E-T-S-T-O-R-M. Where can people, where can people um, find our... Uh, Patreon. Yes. Okay. So the Patreon page is how you can be, is is that so you can become a supporter of the show. If you just want a T-shirt, and I think everyone should get a T-shirt. There's a specific link to Cotton Bureau that will be at the front of the show notes of this episode, followed by the link to the Patreon page if you want to support the show. Yes, so you have two choices of what to do to help us out, so we can keep giving you this because we're talking about doing a live show at uh, at San Diego Comic Con <laughs> next year. That's our goal. Our so dream we're going to So, right. I mean, if you want to see a live show, we actually have to, you know, have some cash to be able to do that. Yeah, so, there you go. Bye bye. <laughs> I need snacks. <laughs> I need some good donuts. Exactly. Where you at, Paul Gio? I am uh, back on Twitter at FizzHog, F I Z Z H O G G. Yes, go ahead. Lisa Lisa Colt Jam. Mm-hmm. You see he ain't giving us his burner one though. You see <laughs> yeah, I'm not giving you my burner. My burner is that I can dip in and out exactly. and keep my timeline clear. Uh, no, I'm at uh, what fresh hell is is what is it? This. It's Thank this. you. Thank you. I forgot who you I don't was. Even know what your own what fresh hell is this? I am gonna have another one that's not gonna be it's kind of a burner, but it's not. It, but I gotta sit How down many and do it. You got? No, I have to have separate ones for my separate personalities. Like there's uh, one that's just the Medusa, the fun Medusa, because I love old art and old art of Medusa. So I want to do like um, you got to read that a lot. I got I got to do like Medusa photos and stuff. So it's, you know the black Medusa. <clears throat> you know what, Carl? <laughs> Carl. What Carl, laughing a lot. Hilliard, Carl Hilliard and Chris and I are very real. Lisa, three question marks, CGI, and not Lion King CGI, more like Avatar. Oh, he said Avatar. You know what, Carl? Ooh. Mr. Carl Seaton, these are fighting words. <laughs> I tell you what, when's the next time we taping? Sir, I meet you on La Brea That's in Santa Monica in front of the Starbucks coffee shop. <laughs> I will have my hair, my locks cornrowed. I'll have the Vaseline <laughs> on my face. For the scratching And my shoe in my hand We're going to have to Duke it out sir All this trash talking And this is what 26 seconds ago On the year of our lord What is this July What date is this July 135 The year of our lord Carl Seaton Alright Oh damn We should have Carl come down If we come down to San Diego We should have him come down For Comic Con Come hang awesome. with us Come hang out awesome. with us Oh yeah If he's in town If he ain't directing do a live, Somebody's episode Do a live pop book We've talked about this for years We've always Wanted to do a live 
episode combination of doing the show and a Q&A with an audience I think we're gonna do awesome. it like a two hour show I can't stand a little hour shows I'm like no bitch I, there's more questions to be asked yeah you know and we mean? can interact with the audience yes. and then I, we can also do this is just a thought right. if people are brave like we do it before bring us your one page and oh we'll boy. do a cold read oh and boy. give you some straight up awesome. and have Ooh. you sit in the chair next to us. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> chopping block. That's what it's like, Chopping block. <laughs> We can't call the chopping block. That's too cold. That's too cold-blooded. We'd be nice. <laughs> we'll have Mr. Sandman like they do on the Apollo Showtime. But pop. <laughs> That's what's up. And I'm your host, Hilliard Guest. You guys can follow the show at, at Hilliard Guest. Follow the show. You guys can follow me mm-hmm. at Hilliard Guest. You guys can follow the show. Screenwriters are, are on Twitter. <clears throat> Any questions, screenwritersrentroom at gmail.com. Um, please go on iTunes, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, whatever you guys listen to. Give us a five-star review. We need that for the metrics. Um, like you said, please go on our Patreon page. Please buy our new T-shirts that we have. Um, I saw somebody wearing one the other day at the Writers Guild. I was like, oh, shit, hey. Um, so that's cool. Um, let me see. A lot of shit going on, a lot of shit going on, a lot of shit going on. Um, anyway, again, big shout-out to everybody all over the world listening to the show. Yeah. We appreciate you guys. Um, damn, we're like dropping episode 266 or something. Yeah. Crazy. Hey, crazy. shout out to my friend Luana. Thank you for putting together the uh, Afrofuturism Lounge down in San Diego during the Comic-Con. It was over at the New School of Architect downtown San Diego. So this is their second year doing it. So I hope they're able to, to do it again in the same space because I think that would be awesome if we can come down and like do. Absolutely. Do, you know, they have <laughs> panels, they have art, they have cosplay. They have, it's just, it was a really fun um, environment. I was just mm-hmm. there to volunteer and hang out, yeah. and it was just really fun to see people. Especially a lot of people were into writing, and so I just want to put that out there in the ether for next year. That's good. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. All right, cool. Well, thank you guys. Thank you, Paul. Thank you, Lisa. Lisa Colt Jam and all mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Chris Derrick who just left. Um, the so, quiet storm. The quiet storm <laughs> left quietly. <laughs> exactly. So y'all know how we do it on the rant room. On the show, we keep it real. We keep it opinionated. We keep it what everybody. What kind of forever. Peace, y'all. Ciao. I'ma say what I feel, and I promise to keep it real. Welcome to the rant room. Till your fears are diminishing, the doubts are behind ya It's hard to grind and the business got me stressed in the rent room We let that shit up off our chest You know the street nerds got no time for no caca Sass in class, yes that's Mr. Bolakaja Never have to guess when you're listening to Hilliard He gon' bring more game than a shark playing billiards It's all about the crap of screenwriting It's exciting when you turn an outline into something enlightening Your pen and words are like bullets in a gun Write what you feel, say what you want Welcome to the rent room